This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by our pal Hiron, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. Hey, Kevin, have you heard about the recent hyper crackdown on artists and creators in the jolly old wrestling community? Uh, yes, I have, unfortunately, but there are still lots and lots of ways and means that you can support independent artists and creative folks in lovely wrestle land. Some of our lovely pals have actually come together and made a delightful new mobile game based on the world of wrestling called The Muscle Hustle. Do you like her? Do you, like us, crave constant entertainment on your mobile device for your eyes, ears, and hands? If so, this is the game for you. It is all original, awesome artwork by some of the best in the industry, and it's addictive as heck as well. Support independent creators in wrestling! Check it out and download now on the App Store or Google Play. And we have been informed that if you do use the code HOWTOWRESTLING, that is the name of this podcast, you will get a special present in the game from us to you. Plus, it helped Kevin overcome his addiction to WWE champions. So thank you, Muscle Hustle. (laughs) Yes, thank you for the hours you have given me back. For now, though, it's time to get settled in and enjoy this episode. It's time for How To Awesome Kong. Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and prepare yourselves for an awesome and amazing episode, because today we're talking all about Kia Stevens, a.k.a. Awesome Kong, a.k.a. Amazing Kong, and a.k.a. Karma, but I am Cowboy Kevin Mahan, a.k.a. one of the co-hosts of this, alongside my better half and my best pal and partner in podcasting and in life, a.k.a. Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, a.k.a. How's it going? I was doing great, and then literally one minute before we sat down to record this podcast, I was so excited. I've been looking forward to this for like, I feel like it's been nearly a month and a half. It's been a while because backers on Patreon will know that Joe and Kevin are today joined by the new third edition, the third man, the third person to the uh, How To Universe here. It's uh, Joe's new nose. Hello. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) Good. No, but just like one minute before we sat down to record... I fell down the stairs and not like, you know, just a couple of stairs at the bottom. I fell from the very top to the very bottom. This is very intense because you literally told me the other day and like, no joke. You were like, oh, I've fallen in the stairs a few times in my time. And I'm I was a like, bit of an expert what? at falling down the stairs. Growing up, I grew up in a very old school mm. with like lots and lots of old windy wooden stairs in it which had no carpet and they're all really slippery. So like I would literally fall down the stairs like on a weekly basis. So they literally sound like a house from a series of unfortunate events or something like that. A couple of hundred children died there. Falling down the stairs? No, diphtheria. Oh, okay. But so it is haunted though. Oh yeah, definitely haunted. All right. And Um, do you think it was like the the ghost children? Because I've seen Casper, Joe. I know some of these ghost kids are fucking pretty much should be on asbos as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, little shits. Were they like tripping and slipping you up? Do Probably you pushing me down the stairs, yeah. So was this a haunted fall down the stairs today? No, this or? is just me slipping up. Despite the way, in case anyone thinks I'm like mad, like, oh, Kevin's very heartless there. We have spent the last hour making sure Joe is okay. Yeah, he spent the last hour cuddling me and <laughs> telling me how great I am and that I'm not a stupid idiot that I was telling myself I was. It's very hard, okay, because if, if your loved one falls down the stairs, okay? 
but they managed to fall down the stairs and you're just about to record a wrestling podcast and I hate to admit that the number one thing went through my head after oh my god is Joe okay Mm. and as soon as I could tell that you were okay and everything was fine straight away it was like man and they say they learn how to fall like (laughs) That's funny because I was, yeah, that was kind of my, my first thought was, wow, I really could not be a wrestler. Like, I've, I'm not even that badly. Uh, I'm a bit bruised on my butt. My arm is really sore and I've got a couple of grazes that are bleeding a bit on my hand. And honestly, like the grazes on my hand are like nothing. And I'm like, ow, it's so sore. Oh, Owie. come on now. Ow. You're being hard on yourself. Number one, okay? They don't wrestle in no carpet in, in, <laughs> in, in the WWE. Or maybe in Japan they do some of that stuff. The real strong style. They're wrestling on fucking lush double high pile carpet. Like, you know, all sorts of burns. But you told me that your first instinct was to go, you're going to take a flat back bump there, yeah. son. You got you to load it, lay it out, you know? When you've been pushed down the stairs from a very young age by ghost children, um, you learn a thing or two about how to fall downstairs in a way that minimizes any damage to yourself. So yeah, the yeah. trick is to fall backwards on your butt and use your arms. It's okay if you hurt your arms, yeah. but you know you don't need them. You know, just your face. You got to protect the face. The and money the, maker. The new nose. The money maker, as, as the business would say. And that's good because, like, you fallen, you fell down the stairs. You took the, you took the flat back bump. You yeah, know, you okay. Let the, you let the ass take all the pounding. And I kind of feel like if anyone here is, you know, if you're a backer on Patreon, you've been heard our Extreme Rules pay per view review. I feel like you and I could sit down with a young Bobby Lashley and be like, if you're gonna go over the top rope, big man, take a Joe Graham stairs bump because yeah. it'll be all right. Arms out, legs out get takes the pounding okay that's those are the rules remember that and you'll never hurt yourself going down the stairs well from one tough woman to another incredibly tough woman we're talking today i just yeah there you go that that's how you put over your girlfriend just kind of she falls down the stairs it's basically the same as this incredible uh, wrestler we're talking about today we're talking about uh, about awesome kong and i'll be the first one to throw my hands up and admit there's probably not been enough episodes of this podcast about women we do have a number ones lined up but it kind of feels like it's been a while and I'm really happy. This is definitely one that I've been excited to talk about because we are today talking about one of the most amazing and inspirational and iconic women of all time in the world of wrestling in Awesome Kong. Speaking about the the number of women we've covered, it was actually Dan, our illustrator, that kind of really made us like, oh shit, like obviously we do as much as we can to talk about the importance of diversity and everything. Mm. Wrestling, unfortunately, is a male-dominated industry. Yeah. And women have sadly taken the backseat in a lot of areas. But yeah, our illustrator Dan, who doesn't watch any wrestling, begged us. He was like, please let me draw some women. I'm desperate to, to not have to draw some, some boring, <laughs> muscly men for once. It's kind of, yeah, because I know on, on Patreon we spent a long time talking about women's wrestling mm. and I think the topic of intergender wrestling and has come up for a few times on recent episodes. Uh, if you want to hear kind of our thoughts in depth about it, you know, we, we did talk about it in our PWG episode recently, for instance, but it's definitely, I think, high time that we were talking about another amazing woman here on the podcast. And I mean... For you, as a female fan, obviously there's an importance for for women's wrestling. But when you very, 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 very first met me and I kind of was showing you a bit of like wrestling here and there, it would have been like, what, late 2014. Hmm. And when you started getting into wrestling, you know, wrestle, your first WrestleMania properly was WrestleMania 31 in, like, in, in 2015. Is that the one where Daniel Bryan had the really short match? 
No, no, that's from that's from way back. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm <laughs> so bad at remembering. I, I'm sorry, I have absolutely no memory when it comes to WrestleMania followed by a number and knowing who was on that show. Well, in fairness to you though, Joe, they did literally the year after you start watching remove the numbers and then helpfully bring them back this yeah, year. So, so for you, WrestleMania has just been a blur. Play symbols, star, fucking, I don't know, smiley emoji. <laughs> You know, <laughs> winking, kissy emoji. <laughs> when are we going to get WrestleMania cowboy emoji? Huh? That's what I want to know. Okay, yeah. when's that going to happen? But I just drew gulag. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I wanted to know is for you, as in in the short time you've been watching wrestling, relatively, there's been a lot of changes in women's wrestling. And for mm-hmm. me, he's been watching for over twenty years. It feels like the last four years, in particular have been an absolute non-stop fucking adrenaline rush because we talk about no progress at all in the last four years shit tons of shit has I, I know, happened yeah I know what you're going to ask me and you're going to ask me you know how have I made this impact on the wrestling industry <laughs> and you know who would I like to thank you know obviously I've worked really tirelessly hard you know to get women the rightful place on the WWE there's obviously the women's revolution mm. there's obviously the women's evolution not a lot of people talking about the women's devolution or the women's jovolution <laughs> which you know is is the most important of all I mean I'm just saying since I started doing this podcast yeah women's wrestling has like been given so much more airtime but I think we kind of touched our finger on it quite early on like our third episode I think was about the shields mm. and that was the point when we were like for me it was eye opening because you had come from a world on you know on Tumblr where you've been telling me where you used to you know used to be on Tumblr a bit and you told me that yeah, there's all sorts of like women watching wrestling mm. and there's a huge fandom out there and they're liking wrestling for reasons that you might not necessarily think I think for a lot of people it started out as like an ironic love of wrestling it's like ha you know we're women you know why would we love this this stupid sport full of you know hunks we only like it because they're hot oh yeah I'm just gonna watch Seth Rollins take his top off it's no big deal though like you know or maybe watch Dean Ambrose be really cool in an interview wearing a little diamond earring but it's it's a perfectly it's like our love of Dean Ambrose is as ironic as Dean Ambrose's little diamond earring surely it's definitely where I don't want to speak on behalf of all women obviously Mm. but like it definitely is where I first became interested in it was the idea of this ironic love of, of taking over a sport that was predominantly Dominantly beloved by gross men. Mm. Soz but true. Mm. And making it a beautiful, wholesome place full of flower arrangements and <laughs> long flowing hunk hair. <laughs> and women, most importantly. And that's the thing, I was I think a lot of people, you know, when this whole stuff kind of went down, you had a lot of, you know, new eyes on the wrestling product, a lot of young female fans were watching for the first time. I think it's safe to say, I mean, WWE themselves were saying it, you know, at, at like conference calls looking at who's watching and there were more women watching and they had done things like Total Divas mm. which was very much like very unsubtly at the start was kind of like I know your girlfriend's never going to watch no wrestling but she'll watch this mm. and that was kind of meant to be an entryway and I think it was successful in getting a lot of women to Absolutely, watch yeah. but I don't think a lot of the women who were watching necessarily wanted to see 90 second matches with no punching mm. and just it's going to be women talking you know the women on the show are going to be divas and talking about how great it is to be sexy and uh, powerful and be on runways and be like more of a jack of all trades as opposed to like you know an actual wrestler yeah who kicks ass and wants to be a fucking kick-ass wrestler and win some championships you know kind of like the men are meant to mm. And then we had some stuff on NXT, and it seems to have trickled down from there. And I kind of feel like every other... If you go back to all of our pay-per-view reviews on Patreon, 
you know, we had that first WrestleMania where you've got an announcement where they're not going to be called divas, they're going to be called women. Yes, and I remember when I first started watching wrestling being absolutely horrified to learn that divas was the... Because I, I thought it was just like a, you know, a silly throwaway name that they'd use to refer to it as like a branding thing. Or like maybe there's a kind of a heel self-centered woman. She's yeah, a diva. Yeah, a diva. But it's very but strange like, when you have these like supposedly like kind of, yeah, she's like a real inspirational role model. She's a, a fighter. She's a, And she's a diva as well. Yeah, like, and that was the weird thing is that when you had like these press events and stuff, the conferences that they would do and they'd talk about, you know, the male athletes the superstars and the divas yeah we, let's, we welcome that's what they would say it's like uh, New Orleans welcomes the superstars and the divas and like, of WWE when you have those two terms laid out like that it's obviously so in- demeaning yeah and it, it's kind of one of those ones where for me as a fan they were called divas since 1998 1999 that's and so weird that is the same name that would have been used to describe the very very early women who appeared like you know say sable mm. and whatnot they would have been described as being divas but even then still when we had you know say trish stratus and lita in the early 2000s and a lot of the kind of the women like victoria and jazz and molly who were Great wrestlers. Still Legitimate were, athletes. Yeah, still fitting into the WWE model of being like, you know, beautiful women and whatnot. Yeah. And still fitting a lot of those molds. But we were still calling them divas. And it's kind of weird that I, me and pretty much anyone who was watching never thought to think, it's a bit weird now. And like, even after like when it became PG and it's like, well, they no longer can do the sexy Playboy pillow stuff that you're kind of putting on them and the lingerie and the bra and panties and whatnot. And yet they're still called divas and the only difference now is that their time is being cut and like i remember we watched the episode of total divas and i had to review the wrestlemania for the attitude podcast not long ago where you had you know the bella twins were meant to have a match and they were literally told yeah sorry guys you've been cut for time like literally as they're in gorilla position mm. about to go out and perform and that was the only women's match so yeah. there were no women no women and this is 2013 yeah not that long ago that's like the year before i started watching that's yeah. like that's how that's how recent it is and it's so shocking to me so in many ways I could say yeah WWE from my viewpoint just seeing how little glacial change there had been Mm. for so long for me I'm like thrilled jumping up and down and of course when the topic of women's wrestling we want to hear what the straight men have to say about (laughs) this because we are very very well invested in this but for you the change we're to time date this episode massively it's the end of July 2018 WWE's evolution, the first ever all-women's pay-per-view, has been announced. We've had, feels like in every other episode of our Patreon, we're talking about the first ever Women's Royal Rumble. Well, first even before ever, then, we yeah. had the, the new belts. Yeah, the new belts. Which was, that was one of the most important moments for me as a female wrestling fan since yeah. I've been watching, was the change of the belts from the butterfly pink design <laughs> with sparkles on. And to anyone who wasn't watching wrestling back when that was the belt, I know how horrifying that sounds. And yes, I was furious about it. And as furious as you were, I was even more furious when I finally got to see the Replica Divas Championship at, at Access. And you couldn't even open it up and Polly Pocket wasn't even in there. You see, now that's the thing. If you're going to have a ridiculous belt like that, you've got to have a Polly Pocket in there. Yeah. With the water slide and the pet dogs. And then the men should get an equivalent Mighty Max skull belt with a little, <laughs> you know, that opens <laughs> up it. and there's a volcano coming out of yeah. its eyes. But yeah, it, it's there's been a lot of, of movement, basically. I mean, you know, NXT, we saw the first, you know, uh, we saw women main event in NXT. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Bailey and Sasha is a big moment that happened, you know, in Brooklyn, their iconic match and then we got to see some main events for the women finally albeit very begrudgingly with yeah. hell in the cell and whatnot but 
I'm just asking you, please, no pressure on behalf of all women. Mm. <laughs> but has it been enough? What have they done well? And where have we got to go still in terms of women's wrestling? I think they've done... Oh, this is so difficult because obviously they've they've not done as well as they can. But mm. I want to give them the credit for changing at all mm. because they don't have to. Like, really, they, they don't have to as a company. They are rich enough and they make enough money. They probably don't even need women to give a shit. And WWE have proven in the past that they can be... Like, I don't want to draw too many parallels between Vince McMahon and George Lucas because that's too much weird, gross guy for, for one thought to handle. <laughs> but WWE in the past has proven itself to be very capable to be entirely autonomous of the tastes and standards of the yeah. time. And if it's like, well, if you guys don't like the way we're treating what we're doing with the women or you guys want to push this, we'll just find sponsors that will, but they seem to be not on that viewpoint anymore, at least. And to me, the big shift in how women were presented generally in society and attitudes towards women, I think changed massively in 2009. Mm. I think that was the turning point for most media entities. Mm. So you're not talking just about wrestling No, I'm not talking about just wrestling. I'm talking about generally that's when I think the conversation started shifting. That's when feminism became a positive term that people were starting to embrace and identify with. Mm. Whereas I think prior to 2009, it was much more of a kind of like, oh, you identify as a feminist. Oh, what are you, a big angry lesbo? I mean, that's not to say that you're not going to come across that in this day and age, but at least that's not the standard. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all about the mainstream. Mm. And I think that's it. the, The mainstream conversation, I think, shifted in 2009. But wrestling didn't catch up until 2014. Mm. Like, in 2009, were there still Brian Pranty's matches on TV? No, they went PG after 2007, 2008. Okay. So you kind of... But the, like, the way it viewed it is this, because I, when we went back to the ITR podcast, we reviewed those WrestleManias from, like, 2011 to 13, which is an all, a weird time in wrestling, mm. a really weird kind of a gear shift almost. And we were like, well... You know, we've just spent a couple of years talking about you know lingerie matches, and you know the the only the only difference we got was when men old men and drag had a lingerie match. You know that's kind of we we came up with nothing except that with a few bright spots along the way. Uh, so we were expecting, well, it's PG now, so at least they're gonna put them over as being wrestlers and stuff. And like I remember the promo package for like one of the matches at WrestleMania. It not like it was. Four women fighting each other. They weren't even really mentioned in the video package. It was just like, here, like, and the divas are next. And it's like, I'm a diva. And that means that I'm powerful, I'm strong, and I'm sexy. And that oh. means that if I'm modeling on a bikini shoot, you know, you know, uh, guest appearing on Letterman or being on the red carpet or wrestling or, sorry, or sports entertaining, I'm ready for anything. And they kind of, it's this really strange kind of attempt at like empowering women but empowering them in a little box over here yeah like this is what a real modern powerful woman does she's really sexy she's She's not allowed to throw punches (laughs) yeah she adheres to conventional norms of beauty Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it, you're totally right. They they shoehorn them into this little box, uh, and then from the sounds of it as well, kind of forgot about them. Yeah, because what they would do is, and I mean, there's exceptions to this, obviously. And I'm not saying that if this was your background that you can't be an amazing women's wrestler, because obviously, oh, any of the women you talk about yeah. from that time are fucking had so many handcuffs on them, and in some cases were given such little real training, they were taught to, to do this WWE style. And even the cases of female wrestlers whose background was in modelling, there are instances of them becoming fantastic wrestlers. Oh, like yeah. our, our episode on Trish Stratus Absolutely, covers yeah. that. Perfect She's example. totally was 
just entirely from a fitness and modeling background and went into this not even to be a wrestler to be like just the eye candy and yeah went and became like the most kind of iconic WB women's wrestler of all time but what would happen a lot during that time is that you would get WWE reaching out like Johnny Ace if you've watched Total Bellas you've seen Johnny Ace John oh, Laurinaitis stepdad yeah and he would literally like he would they'd say he'd get uh, like you know, he had these kind of casting cards of like just all these, these binders old, full of women. Binder, exactly. Him, <laughs> he went down to the old Republican National Convention. He got a few binders full of bikini Chats women. To his friend Mitt Romney, and he would just go through and kind of go this, this, this. Like approach him, say, "Hey, do you want three hundred grand a year? Come train for you know in Florida or whatever." And they have a great look, and that was the most important thing. They had a great look, mm. and you had a lot of women. And by great look, they mean. You are really sexy to Vince McMahon. Yeah, as in you are, generally speaking, uh, a busty, more often than not blonde. Very slim. Slim, muscular, but not too muscular. And And not too slim that they don't have, you know, curves, brackets in the right places. Yeah, they're very much like what you would have seen on in the early 2000s and like a lot of, you know, MTV. You know, it's very much fit the kind of the mainstream mold of what, you know, the, the attractive women was. And even though some of them, like Kelly Kelly and Candice Michelle, kind of made it their business to try and be as amazing as they could, you couldn't change the fact that the women weren't taken seriously by wrestling fans, by and large, because it's like, oh, these are just the bikini models. Yeah. And a lot of time, the roster, they would like they did these diva searches, where it's like, literally, hey, are you sexy? Send in a tape and come oh, on TV. I've and I've seen clips. Yeah. It's horrifying. Sit in a pie and like call this woman a skank or a slut or whatever. And then like before you knew it the majority of the roster is the likes of you know say molly holly and jazz kind of wound down all of a sudden the veterans are the people from the first diva search Mm -hmm. and people were taking women's wrestling seriously least of all wwe yeah so they have come a long way since then absolutely it's just they haven't come far enough fast enough Mm. considering what they would be capable of given their finances and their influence in the industry and many would say joe and i don't know what you think about this they'll say they're only doing this because of pr and that's it that they've been and money honestly mm. and that's true and that's that's you know to be honest okay that's fine and honestly that's better than some alternatives i mean we get a lot of companies now that don't even care about the pr or don't care about you know the potential income they can make from women and they literally do not give a shit because they don't have to vince will always know where the money is yeah so i think It's important to give them a certain amount of credit for recognising that change is important. And Mm. even if it's not for the best reasons, I am grateful for it at all. Do you just, I mean, this may be putting you on the spot here a little bit, but like, I genuinely think, like Vince McMahon, it's literally, if it makes business sense, he'll do it. Like, if someone came to him and said, no, it made it like, like, they could show him. Yeah, you have to show him, though. I don't think it'll be enough to be like, oh, think about it. You know, women are making more money now. They're not getting married. They're not having kids as young. Of course, they've got spare income to spend. You know, more people are getting involved in sports entertainment now anyway. Mm. It's becoming more mainstream. So logically, we can make more revenue. How about, say, Triple H and Stephanie? Because Triple H has the the voice breaks and the lump in his throat when he's talking about the women's wrestling revolution, mm-hmm. evolution, whatnot. How far do you think this kind of, it's just best for business? Or do you think there is a genuine... I think, I think there is a gen. As far as he's concerned, I think he would tell himself that it is a genuine desire to get like diversity is important to him. Mm. It is because it's, and I think a difficult element of it as well is that like with Triple H, if he's in charge of NXT, the WWE's developmental system, a lot of that's going to be he's seen these exactly. people kind of grow and get into these bigger spots now. But I don't think it's fair to lay all the progress on the shoulders of people like Trips and, and Stephanie mm. because I think 
it's always really important to think about how influenced they are by people who's whisper in their ear. Mm. I think, honestly, it's much more likely that it's people like William Regal or Dusty Rhodes. Mm. The sort of the talent that's involved in wrestling that's maybe not necessarily always on screen, but yeah. it's more of the kind of the development, the, the talent that tends to tour around the world and see all the, the amazing wrestlers that are there are more likely to be like, there are some great wrestlers here. We could be making money the way these shows are making money mm. and, you know, su- sucking in this talent that we haven't got yet. Yeah. And the fact that, like, NXT was the first to really take women's wrestling seriously. Like, I watched NXT before I started watching Raw or SmackDown mm. on a week-to-week basis. Was that shocking to go from one to the other then? Honestly, I found Raw and SmackDown boring. So I, I gave it a shot and was like, that's not for me. I'm going to stick to NXT where the women are like given proper screen time mm. they're given opportunities to talk characters. on the mic they're given characters and like if you look at NXT now as well the diversity of the characters they have it's fantastic mm. like the fact that you're able to describe them all individually without using their names and people would immediately know who you're referring to because they all got strong gimmicks yeah. and that's something which that era that we're looking at today except maybe in some different companies outside of WWE you're going to see that 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 was something that was being used a lot which is women with characters and strong looks and whatnot. whereas what we had in WWE in the past was no characters, and there was a, maybe a strong look you could say, but everyone had that same strong <laughs> look, you know. Constant thing that happened back in the day. I shit you not. Oh God. Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross used to get all the women mixed up because I'm not surprised. there was like Maurice, Kelly Kelly, Natalia, Michelle McCool, all hair or like women with long blonde hair, and they'd be like, "Oh, someone's been eliminated from the match. Is that Maurice? No, I think it's Kelly Kelly. Wait a minute. No, hang on a second. That's not. That's uh, that's Eve. I think she dyed her hair blonde this week. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's horrifying. And when you think of all like the the blonde female wrestlers that have existed in the last probably five, maybe ten years, mm. it probably outnumbers the number of women of colour who are wrestlers yes tenfold that's very true if not by more so I mean the only thing I would say yeah before we kind of move on to a topic is where would you like to see it go what have we not got yet what do they still need to do what remains undone because WWE very much seemed to be giving the vibe that like anytime there's one of these big announcements it's not kind of and this is it it's like they want you to anticipate that there's going to be more of these announcements so for you, as a female fan, again, the designated voice of all female yeah, of fans. all women, yeah. But what, what needs to be done, Sen? If they're going to be doing a few more of these announcements in the next year or two, what would you like okay, to say? Okay, I've got a long list. Okay. Right, number one, tag team belts, which Ooh, I think I yeah. think they're going to do. I mm. think they'll bring that in for the women's pay-per-view because I don't think it would make sense to have an entire pay-per-view. With two belts. Do they even have two belts? With the Raw and, and Sm- I mean, three, if you go, we went Raw, SmackDown, NXT, there's three women's championships. Oh, you see, now that's not... You need, yeah, you need women's tag team. Mm. You also, this is my opinion, an intercontinental title for the women. Mm. They, yeah, they need the same number of belts that the men's roster has. That's that's a quality, mm-hmm. which means bringing in, what, how many more belts for the women? Oh, would, I mean, if you're going to do it per show, that would mean... You would need... That's the thing that's weird is like, I don't know if they have enough women to have tag belts on Raw, tag belts on SmackDown. It's a shame and the it's US. impossible to hire more women though. <laughs> They've used every single female wrestler in the world well, and they, they, they are have, all there. They are hoovering up, I will say, pretty much like every... It feels like every top indie star and every yeah, and top name from Japan. and not put them on TV. Well, yeah, I, I, they would need to add in one, two, three... They need to add in four more belts, Right, that's what they need to do then. Yeah. There you go. 
And is it just males for you then? Or? No, no, there's more. They need to have a minimum 50% women on their writing staff and not white women as well. They mm. need a diverse group of creatives on the writing team. Now, from what we have, our minimal research that we can find, because WWE's writing uh, staff is very kind of top secret and mm. whatnot, very few women have ever written there and those that have, I mean, I think we mentioned before the shelf life of a writer in WGB is very, very short. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think, with the exception of maybe Stephanie and I know that uh, Sarah Del Rey is one of their producers, there's not a lot of female voices in that writing room, I don't think. And I think a lot of that has to do with Vince. Mm. Um, I think the way Vince runs his business is very aggressive mm. and it's not... Con- necessarily to a healthy environment wherein everyone is heard and that's the trouble is that to uh, attain female talent in any company or business you have to have a working environment that is wholesome and safe and nice and not aggressive and not super competitive all the time I'm sorry but like research has shown again and again that if you want women to thrive, you cannot constantly berate them and yell at them and demean them. And we wonder why Renee Young doesn't want to do commentary anymore. Yeah, she's like. got a man yelling, <laughs> screaming in her ear. But I honestly think until we get minimum 50% female representation, like mm. I said, of diverse race and ideally sexuality mm. on the creative team, that is when we will actually get meaningful change within the business. And I think even then that comes from a larger business attitude shift. And that's what we're going to start to see is probably some more interesting stories being told. And maybe exactly. Some and that, new stories being told. That's the root of where wrestling is entertaining is, mm. is comes from the stories and being able to write women well. Unfortunately, I'm sure there are lots of men who can write women fantastically well. Unfortunately, they don't tend to be hired at WWE for whatever mm. reason. It's true, yeah. And As a whole. It's something that they struggled with and even with the strides we made on NXT and even though there's some fabulous, incredible women and great women's wrestling happening on the main roster a lot of times still the story leaves a lot to be desired yeah you only need to look at the whole weird thing with Nia Jax and Ronda Rousey and Alexa being randomly bullying angles yeah bullying and and then friends and then oh we've got to be nice to each other so yeah creative absolutely really important Mm. and then on top of that female referees and yep. female commentators mm. see that's think the eyes should be on NXT then because that's that's research that's R&D as people kind of say it it's the uh, minimal viable product yeah and I think we're starting to see some of that hopefully with female referees and female commentators I think is the big blind spot for WWE right now yeah. if I was them I would have on NXT a special training ground specifically for non-in-ring talent development well apparently they do with the production side of things with the the university (laughs) no but like it's like it's behind the scenes stuff i don't know if they've not done that with like like, on-air talent i know that they people that they hire they train down there in nxt and whatnot like Mm -hmm. you know nigel mcginnis and percy watson and whatnot yeah it feels like if there's a place where you could have a a female voice and they could thrive it's nxt right yeah it's perfect perfect place for them to practice and Mm. develop and honestly, because I, I, I would be telling WWE to look further afield than, than wrestling commentating for talent. I would mm. be looking at other sports because there's a lot of really great female sports announcers yeah. in, in, within many fields of, of various sport. Yeah, absolutely. And then looking within their own roster of which women are capable of performing really well on the microphone or looking back at talent that has unfortunately had to retire due to injury that and is really could, strong Yeah, transition a into it, yeah. Yeah. Exactly like they do with male commentators. It's no different. No, not, not that hard, guys. <laughs> so today we are talking about a very famous, important name in women's wrestling, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I'm sure most of our listeners will be as well. Because while WWE was making great strides in recent years, way, 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 way back, I'm talking like nearly 10 years ago, it feels like, 
Uh, there was some amazing women's wrestling going on, and there still is, by the way, outside of WWE. They do not hold the uh, the iron grip over women's wrestling, nor have they really ever, as far as I'm concerned. Today we're talking about someone who made their name for themselves in Japan and TNA and the Indies on in America. We're talking about Awesome Kong. Joe, when we sat down and we said we were going to do Awesome Kong, was it a name you'd heard of? Was it someone you were familiar with? What experience, if any, did you have of Kia Stevens? I had heard of the name Awesome Kong because when we started doing this podcast, obviously I got quite a few people tweeting at me saying things like, oh, you like women's wrestling and you care about diversity. Have you heard of Awesome Kong, who is one of the best (laughs) wrestlers in the world? And I Google her and I basically, it was love at first sight because she has the best look ever. Like, she's just everything I'm always talking about what WWE needs as a company is you need to take, you know, female talent needs to be diverse in mm. both race, body shape, demeanor, demeanor, attitude, looks. Like, I think it's so important and Awesome Kong just represents all of that for me. And yeah. the fact that as well, I heard that she was this incredible wrestler mm. was just like, well, how is this perfect being exist and isn't like the top star on WWE? How does that work? It's very, very interesting. Like her story is, is absolutely fascinating. And I remember the first time I saw Awesome Kong when I was watching TNA and just immediately being like, whoa, okay, you take notice. Like if you see Awesome Kong, she grabs your attention. She is so unique. And like whatever about even just the look about the actual style and vibe of the character, because we always talk about the... You know, in, in wrestling, you want to have a diversity. You want to have, like, um, a great analogy that's always used is it wants to be like a, a three-ring circus. You want to have your acrobats. You want to have the clowns. You want to have the strongman. You want to have the scary stuff as well, the mm. high risk and the, the and whatnot. And I think, like, Awesome Kong, like, really fits that bill for women's wrestling because you rarely, if ever, have... I don't want to take, take this word the wrong way, but scary, mm. powerful women yeah. in wrestling like that who aren't there primarily for titillation mm-hmm. or to be like some sort of like a joke figure or yes, whatnot. Yeah. Because there have been heavy said women in wrestling in the past. A Bertha Faye, for instance, was someone in WWE, but that was a character who was entirely played up for, for, for jokes and giggles. Like the whole story of her was that, ah, she's with a very tiny little man. And that's very funny because she's big, I you know? I don't understand how wrestling can say that. Like this is wrestling. Mm. A sport wherein your weight is a huge advantage. If you are big, that's awesome. Yeah. That is legitimately... That, that There's nothing but good. Yeah, honestly, like, if you are big and imposing, that that sells tickets. Yeah. We're here in England, a country which is wrestling scene, where, like, still to this day, one of the most watched things of all time, like... All television in the UK is Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks, which are just two of the largest people in yeah. wrestling at the time. There is like there is an inherent marketability in someone being big and powerful and imposing. And like logically as well, though, within the kayfabe of wrestling, if you are big, you have a weight advantage. You tend to be stronger. Mm. That makes you a more dominant opponent, more aggressive. It is very interesting as well because like take size entirely out of the you know size and physique or whatever, and we take that completely out of the equation because you know. I think that is enough to be marketable and, and interesting in wrestling. Yeah. But, like, you know, we talked about in our episode about Kane, and, you know, me and Adam grew up as fans of Kane, and we were talking about one of the reasons that I was so drawn to him was that here was this, like, scary character yeah. who was doing scary... And I'm sure people who came before with The Undertaker and whatnot, like, wrestlers who weren't there to make you just kind of go, oh, there were wrestlers who were there who were like, oh, shit. And I'll be honest, 
you know, 2009 or 2007, when I first started watching Kong and TNA, I'm being scared. And I'm talking about, it was 2007, I would have been 18 or 19 years old. And this was someone who grew up on a diet of bra and panties matches and, like, women solely being put on a pedestal to be, like, sexy or titillation or, in the case of China, a bit scary, but also definitely meant to be a sexy, <laughs> beautiful woman. And, like, with... Kong, I remember being scared of her. Yeah. Of what she would... I would be scared for the other women about how she would handle them, how she would throw them around. And it's like... And I remember years later, like, watching SummerSlam 2014 and seeing, like, Brock Lesnar just, like, for the first time, just completely decimate someone. I have no care for them whatsoever. And I go, damn, that's the same feeling I got. Mm -hmm. And how many women have they put on TV where you're meant to be scared about what they're going to do to the other women because they're so fucking powerful and scary and silent as well. Never spoke. Fucking whoa. The closest we've come to that since I've been watching is with Asuka Mm. because she obviously didn't speak much when she was on NXT and had her reign of Mm. having the belt for a million days. She was scary in a way that like kind of like, oh, I'm really scared for the opponent. Yeah. But she wasn't scary in that like, oh God, I'm scared here yeah, at home yeah. in the way that I would be with Brock Lesnar mm. or the way that I would be with Awesome Kong. Yeah, yeah. That's the trouble. Like a lot of the women heels in WWE are, they fall into a very few little tropes of like cowardly heel. Or cocky heel. Or cocky heel or mm. like manipulative heel. It's all these very little narrow defined Groups, which are still usually drawing up a lot upon kind of stuff that was maybe set in place in yes. the dark ages. Exactly, kind of. the idea that a woman could come in and be—and I'm not saying Awesome Kong is ugly because I think Kia Stevens is absolutely stunning, beautiful woman—but the the bravery of being able to bring in a woman who isn't, you know. TNA standards, as they say. Yeah, it's yeah. an ass. She's not like a Playboy model and everything. It's not about her being titillating and beautiful. It's about her genuinely being terrifying. And I say that's all the more power, more to your point, all the more power to Kia Stevens to be a beautiful woman who can then, through facial yeah, expressions, put on. and put on these... Like, this is the thing, right? Where you have to watch an Awesome Kong match and you have to... I said she doesn't speak. And I thought, and you might think, that's fucking rubbish. Like, a character who doesn't cut promos, how can that get over? And here is a wrestler who tells you the entire story through the face and the eyes and the little facial expressions that are pulled in the match itself. Yeah. And you've not seen... You think Bubba Ray Dudley's trance when he puts someone through a table. You've not seen crazy fucking scary eyes like when Awesome Kong has manhandled someone and is just staring into space with this wide stare like or when she like grimaces as well like she <sighs> has such like her facial range is incredible like no mm. wonder she now has a successful acting career because yeah. When you've got that ability, oh yeah, that's a money maker, baby. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to look through the career and some match highlights for Awesome Kong. And we got a lot of amazing match recommendations along the way. And I think there might be a few which we will recommend as kind of some supplemental viewing along the way. We also did as well because as she was a character who never spoke and never was kind of like, let me tell you why I'm a wrestler. Like that was never part of the, the, the Kong gimmick essentially. So we did also watch as well, Kayfabe Commentaries did a you shoot with Kia Stevens as well. And that was one which I was a little hesitant about watching because the last you shoot I saw you was Sandman basically falling asleep, like oh, laughing to himself. Sad. And the other uh, bit of Kayfabe Commentaries I show you was Vince Russo would be like, bro, let me, t- let me ask you. 
would you trust a woman to be president? Because my Christian heart tells me I don't. <laughs> I also was a bit nervous because I saw that it was one hour, 40 minutes long. And mm. I've seen clips from kayfabe commentaries before and they have weird segments where they like get gross people to call in and be like, what's your favorite sex position? And everyone yeah. usually is plied with a few drinks as well to lubricate and hopefully marry yeah. everyone along the way. And there's a lot of weird segments like the hoe bag where you talk about which women are hoes. And which men are dicks. Also, how wrong does it sound for that word to come out of my mouth? Yeah, there's certain words that you say that I absolutely love. Like, there's other words. It's like, ugh. Yeah, don't. Please can, stop. Can you say pa- uh, password for me now? Password. <laughs> <laughs> can you say almonds? Almonds. <laughs> oh, it's like smelling coffee beans. It's much better. Thank you. There we go. We've cleansed the palate Cleanse now. the palate. Like, so, yeah, we did that to kind of like find a little bit about her backstory and kind of in her words. And honestly, I will say it's, it's actually really worth a watch. Like, yeah, because it is. she is. She is very even handed. She doesn't unfairly bury anyone except for the woman's wrestler, Raka Khan, who owes her aunt money for looking at her children. <laughs> so great. Seriously. She was so lovely. She wouldn't say a bad word about anyone. Like, Raka Khan, lovely, how about her? Cool chick, cool chick, cool chick. You owe my aunt money for looking after your shitty kid. You give my aunt her money. <laughs> she's fucking, she's awesome. She's amazing. And that's, that's what's great to know is that, like, when there are wrestlers who are quiet and silent for their career, and then you find out it's like, oh, it's because they themselves are quite quiet quiet and don't like to talk you know she is a fucking star she's got a great like i can understand as well why she didn't talk because her natural speaking voice is quite it's quite feminine and high pitched it's a Mm. quite lovely voice to be honest and she's so eloquent with the way she speaks she's obviously incredibly intelligent yeah she's from like southern california and she does have that kind of that twang to it like they did have her speak like one or two lines before like in tna in her original run and they literally had like i will kill the prince (laughs) like she she had to put on this like voice hard to do which yeah yeah, I can see why then you would probably go for the silent type because the voice doesn't necessarily match the demeanour. I mean, I could understand if, if she didn't have that face, then yeah, mm. she would have had to have gotten better with putting on her voice, I guess. Yeah. But like she, like she says in that YouTube interview, when you've got a face like that, you don't need to. If you can tell a story just through your eyes mm. without having to use words, that's far more cool absolutely yeah so she talked about like kind of her inspirations to becoming a wrestler she kind of grew up watching a lot of the stuff around the time that i would have watched as well like kind of the attitude era the stuff in the mid to the late 90s and she was a fan from like a very young age since she was a kid and you could really always tell it not just to the women the men as well the wrestlers who grew up as a fan and are doing this at the back of their mind because they are they're chasing that feeling almost of when they felt as a kid. They want to make people feel like, you know, The Rock did when they yeah. were a kid or Stone Cold. She, she she mentioned the names like Austin and The Rock as being kind of big inspirations for her growing up. Totally see that. Also gave a fantastic tidbit of information that her brother, who she watched wrestling with, used to tease her in a very special way that I'm glad that I was never teased as a child. I'm sure you are as well. It's way too effective. <laughs> he used to tell her that... <laughs> I wish we knew about this for the Vince episode. (laughs) He used to tell her that Vince McMahon was the bogeyman that lived under the bed. (laughs) Vince McMahon living under your bed is the scariest thing ever. Which, I was just thinking about this, right? 
But I think that was an influence as well because you think about the faces he pulls, how scary they are. When we watch Vincent Hogan coming out from yeah. underneath the ring, that's like when Vince comes out, hey pal. You've got the <laughs> wide eyes, the kind of terrifying. But yeah. actually, look at Awesome Kong's face. Yeah. She pulls a lot of similar facial expressions. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think you know people always talk about it, who's the greatest promos of all time. There's like a special elite group yeah. in there. Greatest facial expressions of all time, mm. which is an elite group, and I think Vince is in there, absolutely. and Kong is absolutely yeah. in there as well. Like, That's so funny, though. I bet he would. Lo- I wonder if he knows that because I think he would love that. Here, could anyone remake the John Lewis advert that was plagiarized? Except it's Vince McMahon and a little boy learning how to like. You know, it's like, oh, I, he's really scary. Just give him a steak wrap, and he's like, <laughs> I like these. Like. Mommy, the man under my bed tells me to never sleep. <laughs> Mommy, the man under my bed fired me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, those were kind of our our inspirations to be arrested. She also mentioned that China as well as being like uh, a really strong figure that she saw on TV. Because honestly, without China, it would be so difficult to think that, you know, that her looking like that could ever be a wrestler. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine like, how strong an influence China would have been for a lot of women who were of a bigger body shape. And I think as well, if you even look at the, the similarities in the ring gear with the kind of like the, the leather. Yeah, and the strappy kind of, leather, all yeah. this gladiator gear. Yeah. yeah, and Kong has that kind of, that's what I was loved about Kong, is that she had this kind of like, glad, this very strong look, like this gladiator type of look. Which she never changed, did yeah, she? Yeah, pretty much has it her whole, pretty much her whole career, yeah. Variations on it, but pretty much the kind of, I don't know, the, the weird kind of like the, the Ember Moon wears kind of a short version of it mm. now, the kind of like the panelled uh, skirt kind of and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, so it's got a proper name. I can't remember what it is, but it's like a gladiator type strap yeah, skirt. Something like that, but it's a really, really strong look. So she wanted to become a wrestler. Like she said, like what the reasons, like her brother kind of was, she said it was part of the reason she, that inspired her to become and start to train to be a wrestler. And I actually find out from a bit of research Way, way, way back in the day, like 2002, I think, there was a documentary on Discovery called The Health Body Challenge where she actually appeared as a contestant because she was looking to lose weight and get in shape to become and train as a wrestler. So she was on like a reality show way, 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 way back in the day. And she did like hook up with some of the indies in Southern California, but it was only when she went to the dojo for All Japan Women's Wrestling that straight away they were like, here's a look. Here's a, a like definitely something that you know she's she's got size she's unique and that's kind of what the Joshi wrestling and all Japan women's wrestling can use a lot of that to their advantage. Yeah, because they actually have quite a lot of big women wrestlers yes. there, don't they? Like where the size is seen, rightfully so, as an advantage. Yeah, and I think like I will say from the outset two things. Number one, my knowledge of Joshi, the women's wrestling in Japan, are all like because you know people love New Japan and whatnot and kind of think, oh, how come there's no women's wrestling in New Japan? Separate leagues, like, and quite successful as well. My knowledge of that is very, very limited. In my research for this, trying to find some matches, I did find that very few people recommended Joshi matches. We did watch Awesome Kong versus Azure Kong as kind of as a, as a, to try and kind of see what the style was like. Which is awesome. I had no idea a wrestler that existed that looked like Azure Kong. Yeah. Oh, wow. And let me tell you something. That's a terrifying style over there. It's fucking hard hitting Mm. and if you think the men hit hard in Japan the women hit just as fucking hard if not harder and a lot of actually you're not gonna like this but like a lot of the credit for 
bringing attention to Joshi wrestling in the mid-90s particularly comes from Dave Meltzer, who went over to Japan to do a lot of stuff for New Japan and got hooked on this Joshi wrestling and would talk about really famous names like Aja Kong and Manami Toyota. And a lot of Dave Meltzer's five-star matches are the things that he rated as the highest or the standard in the world is from Joshi Wrestling. Oh, wow. And many people think one of the reasons that Meltzer's had a bee in his bonnet or has been very unplussed by women's wrestling, particularly American women's wrestling, for the last five or so, or even longer than that, like, he seems nonplussed by a lot of the supposed changes, is because he knows the standard that exists out there and existed out there 20 years ago that isn't here in America or in the the West in terms of work rate or style or, or whatnot. So... I want to watch more Joshi wrestling. Oh, God, me too. Honestly, for, like, the different looks alone. Was it surprising to find out that this world existed? I mean, I knew that Joshi wrestling was a thing. I've been Mm. told that many, many times. I knew that New Japan wasn't a... You know, it was not just a sexist company. It's like, (laughs) we don't want women. It's like, it just legitimately is an entirely different thing. It's two separate companies. But I had no idea about the type of wrestler that there was there. Like, Mm. just the diversity of the Mm. looks. Honestly, like that, I had absolutely no idea that... I assumed, I guess, wrongly, that there would be similar pressure in Japan on the look that women are expected to have Mm. as there is in WWE American wrestling. Which... There isn't. It's totally different. It's fantastic. And if you look at Japanese women's wrestling, which gives you the types of like Aja Kong, Kairi Zane, and Asuka, three very, very different yeah. uh, looks, body types, whatnot. But I think because the only wrestlers I had seen from Joshi Wrestling was Kairi Zane, Asuka, um, I'm trying to think if I've seen any others. But again, mm. they're all quite petite. Mm. They, they fit within WWE's kind of mold of, yeah. of how women should look. So I just, yeah, I just assumed that's what it was going to be like. And I didn't realise that there's all these really cool, badass, massive, brute-like women. It's so cool. And I think one of the best things that can happen for you in your career is that if you go to, if you get, you know, spotted by someone from Japan or you get to go to Japan early in your career, there's a lot of, like, kind of myth building that comes with that. Um, like, if you're someone who's come from Japan, it's kind of like a it's like a stamp of approval, like, you know, it's being, like, kind of this person's legit and proper tough. And not many, if any, Western women were going over to Japan. That was quite a rare thing because, honestly, the style was brutal. The yeah. training was even more brutal. In our episode about Shinsuke Nakamura, we talked about the young boy system of having to kind of... You get paired with a mentor or something like a senpai, essentially, and you fucking do everything for the veterans. You clean up, you set up the ring, you take the cigar ash from them, and you you t- you, you do everything for them. Yeah. And I was just wondering, from when we heard Kong talk about it in our interviews that we watched... The re similar, if not worse, harsh training. Yeah. When you're training as a woman in Japan, uh, she told a story early on in her career getting kicked full force in the face by her senpai because she didn't get up quick enough. And it like split her lip yeah. and like completely like bust her face open. It's and like- another time in Japan, she nearly lost. She actually, no, she didn't nearly. She lost part of her tongue in Japan as well. Yeah, just bit it off. Fucking hell, they hit hard. Yeah, it's really scary. Like the Aja Kong, Awesome Kong match that we watched, were you shocked at the level they beat the shit out of each other? They really did. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like just, yeah. like (laughs) It was like a Brock Lesnar fight with like Roman Reigns or something. That one match where they like properly beat the shit out of each other and it was amazing. Mm. It was like that. So yeah, really harsh training. 
And she did mention as well that there was kind of a culture and a climate when she trained, anyway, back in the very early 2000s. Some of the veterans who were kind of expecting, I don't want to say sexual favours. I'm trying to think of a way to even phrase Uh, this. I mean, sexual favours is about as close as you're going to get, I think. It's a strange thing to hear because you hear about you know, sexual favours in wrestling, and they usually happen between... Or, like, not even in wrestling, like, outside of... In Hollywood. Yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah. And usually happens between, like, kind of a producer and a promoter and and, Mm. and, and a star or whatnot, let's just say. But this was a very weird and and unique in all Japan women's wrestling where the situation, as Kong described it, was that the kind of the top stars, who were obviously mentoring people, were also the people who were then kind of expecting or making advances for some of these sexual favours. And I can't imagine, as difficult as it would be to actually have, to try and be in wrestling and you've had to sleep with a promoter or or anything like that, how fucking weird and horrible that is. But to be in the ring with someone who's expecting favours from you, I can't think of any, like, situation like that. Or, like, someone who you've turned down the favour for and now yeah. you and they're your your senior, they're your senpires, as Kong said. And all the respect to the veterans. That's yeah. it. Like the veterans get It's part of the culture. Everything. You yeah. do what they ask you to do. Mm. That's just what happens. I, I just yeah, and then knowing that they could beat you up and it's perfectly fine because that's their job. I mean, <laughs> it could it could just as it, you know, it could be happening in the male dojos. Oh, you never God. find that because yeah. no one's gonna talk about <laughs> no that. But yeah. I thought, yeah, it's quite brave for Kong to actually speak up and mention that that was a thing. She mentions, doesn't she, about having to... How she, how she kind of got away with not doing things. Yeah. Is she would, like, pretend that she was so drunk she'd blacked out and just, like, pretend to be unconscious. Mm. Uh, or, or pretend that, like, the language barrier, she couldn't understand what they were saying. Like... Oh, God. <laughs> I think, and even if you are pegged as a star, I think some people might think, oh, you get pegged as a star by a big company like in Japan, they bring you over, easy, straight. Well, like, it's not. Like, oh, God, no. There are stories that uh, I've read from Kong about being over in Japan and, like, in a match, for instance, she broke her ankle or severely sprained it in, like, the first five minutes. And then afterwards, you have to go to dinner with the super fans. And it's because the super fans, they pay for your dinner and it's a sign of respect. They're a good fan. You go to the dinner and she's like literally at this fancy steakhouse. Her bandage splits because her ankle is swollen up so much. But you have to sit there and be like, yep, you know, we're we're so happy to be here because it's the whole culture of respect that goes with the you know the fans you have who they're doing something nice for you, you have to respect them with the senpai and the older wrestlers you have to respect everything they do and it also extends as well to a fan who's being disrespectful yep which is other things we heard about about you know obviously to 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 not mince words but being a big black woman in japan mm-hmm. is probably as unique a situation oh. as you can find yourself in she said that like people would just come up to her constantly and just touch her hair oh man which like that that's a harrowing enough experience that happens just generally for black women. But like in Japan, where I know, I know you said you went over to Japan and they would like take pictures of you and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like I've been to Japan, I've been to China. When I was in Japan, I would have a lot of people stare, mm. and I would have people occasionally. A few people took pictures of me, but uh, they were always very polite about it. And mostly, when I was walking through a crowd area, you'd have people would just randomly like do a quick nod or something like just like as in there you are, you're very tall, and I found that very <laughs> off putting. <laughs> When I was in China, I literally had a line of people follow me through a city. Oh once, my god! Like pointing and laughing and taking pictures and, and all that. And, I, and that honestly, you know, 
didn't really do me any favors. But again, I'm <laughs> there's a lot of great stuff that comes with being a white guy as well that kind of yeah, makes up for those. Especially a tall white guy. Yeah. Well, twice on holiday, I had a bad time, you know. <laughs> so it's not. But in terms of the discomfort, she lived there for four years. Yeah, and she, she had to dealt, work there. She had to work there times a million as well, and she's told stories as well in interviews about you know people in the crowd maybe not even necessarily knowing what they're saying the words they're saying but shouting some pretty fucking horrendous racist shit and if that happens the expectation with the respect Joe is that if you are a wrestler man or woman and you're being disrespected verbally in a show like that you have to go in there and usually beat them up it's a very Vince McMahon attitude that I don't know if they have like insurance in uh, in in Japan or how that no. works, but it's like that's the thing that Dudley Boys and ECW used to threaten. Like we're gonna go in there and beat you up. Well, guess what? If you don't do that in Japan, yeah, with a year or two of training under your belt, you ha- we will be fucking kicked to the curb. You have to go and get in that fan's face, yeah. shove them, whatever it is. Stressful. Stressful, but in some other ways cathartic I don't know I mean if I was in her shoes I think if someone was yelling all that to me and I knew that it was expected of me to then beat him up it'd be like well guess I'm gonna have to beat up this uh, racist (laughs) so she had massive success in Japan and really what happened was she came back to America after being there for a few years and I don't think her move back to America was like that's it I'm done with Japan you know usually in Japan you spend a few years you go away to refresh up then you go back and as soon as she came back to American women's wrestling in like 2006 or seven, she she literally in her own words said, I could do this until I'm 80. Like, yeah. you know. I believe her as well. Mm, because the work rate was like so much slower. No one's going to be kicking you in the mouth and spitting your face open because you don't get up fast enough. Yeah. You'd be lucky to be bumping at all in some yeah. of the And like, that's literally the way. Can't even throw a punch at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hit with pillows. All right. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's a completely different world. You could even hardly class them as being the same. No, it's not the same sport. Terms. It's not. No. So what happened was, you know, she started getting booked by a company called uh, Shimmer. And Shimmer is a company, had you heard about it before we talked yes, about it? Yes, I'd heard of Shimmer. I think it was around the time I first learnt about the existence of, like, Eve. Mm. So Eve, uh, for those who don't know, is an awesome all-women's promotion based here in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Awesome shows. Absolutely fantastic. Some of the best talent available yeah. is in Eve. <laughs> and if you want to see some of the best talent, like, on the indies, like, go see an Eve show in the UK. Mm-hmm. You'll absolutely be blown away. And you will also, as well, if you, like, like do like we did. We went, we knew nothing we knew no one and we went in and now like we're fans of like 20 people who are who are, yeah. who are on there some of which are now appearing on WWE's NXT UK yeah. tapings which is awesome so yeah you heard about it around the time of Eve Eve and Glow obviously mm. because the, the Netflix show cause right. announced then I, was, I heard that there was going to be this this Netflix TV series um, about a wrestling promotion from the 80s called Glow which was mm. all women so yeah I knew of that and I knew of Shimmer and then I heard of uh, the Joshi wrestling kind of all around mm. the same time but I didn't know where Shimmer was based and I think I assumed it was in Japan yeah yeah, I mean, it is kind of in many ways like you know that we talked before about like where um, you know after the very kind of hardcore phase of the early two thousands, we talked about this in a bit in our PWG episode how there was more of an appetite for kind of more technical based wrestling, and that's where companies like PWG and Ring of Honor were able to kind of find an audience was through fans who were looking to see like not just chair shots and blood, proper technical wrestling, and in the same vein, you know there were people who albeit it was a smaller audience who are looking to get some good women's wrestling that yeah. wasn't just about you know 
rolling around in gravy or whatever the, the liquid du jour is. And Shimmer, which is based out of Chicago, started by Dave Prezak, uh, who was one of the announcers for Ring of Honor, kind of through Ring of Honor's connections, it's also connections with Japan, were able to get a lot of women in from around the country and around the world. They would tape a few of these shows back to back and then they released them on DVD. And if you look at early Shimmer volumes, and they're still going to this day, they've done like volume 107 or 8 recently. Oh, wow. They do like usually at least one volume every month or so, or two volumes every month or so. Um, if you look back in the early days, you it's a who's who of wrestling, basically. Oh, really? Like, yeah, look at the May Young Classic and cross-reference that with, like, you know, Shimmer. You'll find a lot of, like, a lot of crossover there. And Kong was brought into Shimmer. And it was kind of like, here is this, like, obviously one very unique persona in wrestling. And she's come from Japan as well. And it was, like, literally, that was, she was called Amazing Kong. And that was kind of the, the gimmick that she'd come from Japan. And in Japan, it's a lot more hard-hitting. And she killed and devastated everyone. Do you know how she got the name Amazing Kong originally? I do. So, she originally got the name because she was booked as... Was it a jobber or something? She Just was, as a potential replacement. Yeah, she hadn't been given a name or anything no. at that point. It was supposed to be originally Aja Kong versus whoever was billed mm. uh, or listed or whatever. And then, for whatever reason, Aja Kong couldn't attend the match. And so it was billed as A Kong versus Whoever. A, not just a Kong. It's like no, a full a stop. stop Kong. <laughs> so they were like, well, fine. Yeah, you're called Amazing Kong now. So you can take her place and we won't technically be lying. Um, <laughs> but the funniest thing was she said that they didn't tell her that she that had was gonna name, that was yeah. going to be her name. So she was wandering around backstage and all of a sudden a guy comes up to her and says, hey, Kong. And she's like, what did you say to me? <laughs> yeah. You racist. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It's your new character. It's awesome Kong. <laughs> You've got a match. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, amazing Kong then. She starts getting booked in Shimmer where she's destroying people left and right. A match which had been recommended to us quite a lot and I was very, very happy to show Joe. Amazing Kong versus Mischief from Shimmer Volume 9, and this is available on Shimmer's YouTube page, uh, along with loads of other highlights from their several, several, several volumes they have. If you're looking for some unique women's wrestling or to see some famous names in a past life, I would recommend checking out Shimmer's YouTube page. So, Mischief and Amazing Kong. Can we talk a little bit first about Mischief, who in real life is a microbiologist? That's so cool. That's the coolest thing. Her and Wade Barrett need to form a natural sciences tag team. <laughs> I will be your manager. I will be the zoologist in the ring with you. The marine biology, the microbiology, and the animal biology, brother. I am telling you, it would work. I like it. That's a good idea. So how would you describe Mischief for uh, new fans? She's a bit like like a Nikki Cross type mm. character. She has really cool green eyeliner. Um, green hair as well. And green hair, yeah, but it's kind of like a shimmery black green. So um, really mm. cool. I liked that. So you only kind of could tell it was green when she was being thrown around. She's a bit more kind of like, obviously like punk rock and goth yes. than Nikki Cross is. Yeah. yeah. Isn't represented enough, I don't think, in uh, WWE. Yeah, not enough uh, the, the goth folk around these days. Yeah. True goths, like yeah. mischief. Because you can tell she lives the goth gimmick. Yeah. Like, she's yeah. for real. Absolutely, because she used to be in a tag team with Daphne and they called themselves the Scream Queens. Yeah, again, legit goth. Yeah, it's like, oh, we both are legitimate goths. Do you like to scream? I like to scream. <laughs> Do you like ice cream? I like ice cream. Yeah, mischief is like, this is the thing. We're going to come across so many women in this discussion who, like, unfortunately... Like, I was really sad looking through all these names I recognised from Shimmer and just clicking on the Wikipedia page. It's like, oh, 2014, they retired. Or 2013, they retired. Because, you know, 
you've got a shelf life if you're a wrestler. It's a hard life. And Especially if you're a woman. Yeah. Especially and if you're, if you're a, you know, a successful women's wrestler in the Indies during this time, it meant that you were a fucking workhorse and yeah. you had to probably travel twice as much and bump twice as hard as, as your contemporaries. So it was a bit sad to see that, but I would say any of these names you want to check out, you might see on your May Young Classic or whatnot, and Mischief is definitely one of them. So, when you first saw Kong come out, because you'd seen a lot of Kong, you know, from Glow, you'd seen her in interviews, but when she first came out, this is the first time you saw her, the look as the wrestler, yeah. as the character. What were the, the first impressions? Build from being, as uh, she billed as residing in Tokyo, wait, none of your damn business. <laughs> I love her gear, as I said earlier. Mm. Her gladiator kind of look is really unique and cool. And I love the fact that she's kept it consistent throughout mm. her whole career. Because I'm just trying to think, like, how many female wrestlers have done that? God, I mean, you look at Mickey James, who, like, Absolutely has a ran- polar opposite, yeah. Why don't you randomize me here on the crater wrestler? Like, <laughs> okay, this week you are Wonder Woman Dragon Ball Z. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. But the main thing I really liked about her outfit... Mm. Uh, which took me a few minutes to even notice, were her MMA gloves. Ah, yes, the MMA gloves. Now, what is an MMA glove and who would wear them normally in wrestling? So originally I thought this was a boxing glove and then you were like, no, she wouldn't be able to wrestle in boxing gloves, if you think about it. You need fingers to wrestle, like. Yeah, and you pointed out they're actually MMA gloves. But they look like boxing gloves, so the look is cool, okay? Mm. But yeah, they basically, it's a big flap of foam or Mm. sponge that covers your knuckles and finger area in the back of your hand as well as some of your wrist so you still have your fingers there you still have yeah finger articulation so you can still like manipulate and like lift things up and move people around trying really hard not to say joint articulation articulation. (laughs) um yeah which is really cool so it's i want to mean where it's like happy night like not happy but it's like normal nigel mcginnis joint articulation but then joint manipulation he's like hang on a minute (laughs) i hate that (laughs) the thing i really like the about the mma gloves i mean obviously they look really cool Mm. but what i really love about them consistent theme on this podcast i like the safety ah joe's a big fan of safety i'm a big big fan of safety and we talked about a bit about the cushions on in extreme rules in our patreon review or the elimination chamber where they had the uh, the padding padding. and now we we had the tables with the airbag yeah and we talked about it a bit with callum on answer the 10 Yes, do check that out. Uh, Answer the 10 podcast. We guest appeared recently and had a lovely time as Joe got to see Kurt Angle and TNA looking like Homer Simpson. Yay! <laughs> um, and I, I know we, we spoke with, with Callum about whether or not it's good to have extra safety if mm. you can you can kind of see it. And I know he said he didn't like the fact that there were visible airbags. Yeah. Now, for me, I love it. I love any kind of indication that the people I love and admire and I want to see do well are safe and happy and looking after themselves as much as possible. Hence why I'd love some healthcare in wrestling. That would be nice. But I love the fact that, yeah, she's got these MMA gloves, which means that for her style, which is very hard hitting. And she does the spinning back fist as one of her kind of main moves where she just literally pivots and goes wham, like a big backhand, which looks vicious as hell. It looks horrible. But when you've got an MMA glove on, you can protect your hand mm. and you can protect their face. It's safer for everyone. And it looks cool and it means it makes a great noise as well when the contact hits the skin. Yeah, and they actually remember in the Azure Kong match as well where Azure Kong does have the MMA gloves, they did the whole gimmick where at the end, like towards the end, she gets frustrated. And she pulls it rips off. off. Just like Lesnar does. Yeah. And that's what and then it's like, oh the, literally the, the gloves, gloves are, are coming off, off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so cool. So mm. yeah, I love that because it means she can hit so much harder and it be safer yeah. for everyone. And I, I love that. 
The story of this match is one which, surprisingly, in 2006 and seven, I don't think had yet been told in wrestling for women, which is you've got someone who is fearless and then you have got an unstoppable monster. Like, God, who'd have thought... That's like literally the same story that Hulk Hogan had for every wrestling match he had while he was champion. Like. And yet we've only got one example. Yeah, I mean, it's we're getting a little bit more of it now, I guess, but mm. Kong is the precedent for it. That's the story we that's been told with Kong, and it's just... It's so unique because you've got Mischief, who is way smaller, absurdly flexible. Yes. I can't tell you why it is. Like, Mischief is billed as having no fear, but it feels like she actually has no spine. Mm. Like, she is actually an invertebrate, like an insect masquerading as a human. Yeah. <laughs> because you get to see then this like, real, like, ragdolling going on. And, you know, in the men who are often the stars in WWE have to be of a certain size and a bulk, and ragdolling is unnecessarily possible and nothing makes Kong seem more unstoppable than the fact that she literally grabs her by this green hair of hers and just fucks her across the ring and she flies like a bin bag caught in the wind it's incredible yeah I absolutely love it there's a particular move that she does where she gets mischief up onto her shoulders but like backwards so so she's stretching her back around her own face it's called it's meant to be a torture rack and usually you just kind of hold them up there a bit like that but but she squeezes until she's like wrenches yeah and wrenches and like basically pulls her back on herself so that her feet are hitting her head oh god and it looks incredible I've never seen anything like it and I'm yeah. now obsessed with seeing that move done to Charlotte because <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't die until I've seen that it's literally the damnedest thing I've ever seen like I remember like hearing about this match and thinking yeah this will be good but I'm always worried about matches where it's like four years ago someone says this is a great you know this is one of the greatest women's matches of all time because it's kind of feel like oh we've maybe we've We've advanced a bit mm. past that, but like it's no, it's not. WWE, WWE hasn't. Has. <laughs> yeah, WWE hadn't advanced at that point, but you know, on the indies and in, in, in other companies, they were fucking leaps and bounds ahead. And you've got this amazing story where like mischief keeps managing to hit these like big moves, like a big DDT she'll get, but then she can't turn Kong over to pin her. And that's a story which you'll see with like Braun Strowman yeah, as a heel. All the time. Nia Jax, you said they would never have it where they couldn't turn over Nia Jax no. and pin her. When we talked about Alexa and Nia in the WrestleMania Patreon review, you were saying how like you wanted to see Nia's weight being used as like literally like, as the advantage, advantage it is. It's an it is an advantage to say anything otherwise or to imply otherwise is wrong. It's not true. I don't think they'll ever do it though where they'll have Nia Jax who's like has been laid out, but Alexa Bliss, Mickey James, whoever it is is not strong enough to turn them over and pull up their leg and pin them. Until they tell... Until they're in a place where they can tell stories like that, it's not true equality because Mm. that is inherently seeing then women who are big, who are potentially overweight... As a, as a negative, as yeah. it's somehow a flaw. Like, oh no, we couldn't possibly imply that Nia is too heavy to lift up. That would be rude. That would be mean. But it just adds this, like, you get this, you feel for mischief, and that's what's great. You've got this, maybe a hundred people in this crowd, mm. but they're all electric. And I, like, honestly, I was, I was, I'm always someone who thinks that if I don't have a big crowd or whatever, I, it might make me not enjoy it as much. I need to see her, like, struggle to get her over, and you think, oh, she has her one. But simply the fact that she's that mischief is not big and strong enough, she can't capitalize and actually win. And that is such a fucking simple big guy, little guy, big girl, little girl, whatever it is. Yeah. And we don't get that enough. No, and I we fucking don't. love this. One particular move which I absolutely loved, which used that weight dynamic to a total advantage. Oh yes. Is you had Kong jump from the 
top rope onto Mischief. Like doing a big body splash. Doing a big body splash, yeah. And Mischief rolled out of the way. But she didn't roll far enough to compensate for the fact that Awesome Kong is a lot bigger than her. Yeah. So her, her big body splash takes up, you know, three times the size of how far <laughs> she's rolling. So yeah. she still lands on her. Yeah, so... That's like, awesome. It's amazing as well, because like Mischief, she rolls onto, like, she does the, the standard resting roll, so she's lying on her front. So yeah. you think, oh, well, then she's safe. But literally, away. Nope. the splash onto her back. Mm-hmm. And then Kong does a front drop kick off the top rope like Daniel Bryan, and... To see someone that big and also that nimble, that's just, that's where the scary that's stuff the comes in. She's so light on her feet. Like, at the beginning of this match, you see her actually do something really clever footwork, just, like, nimbly dancing around, showing just how agile she is. Like, mm. again, it just it pisses me off so much because, like, she's so good in all ways, shapes and forms. Mm. Like, to be that size and be that nimble, I mean, that's, like, the only people you can compare that to is Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, Kevin Owens. Like that mm. kind of big, big and it's good and you're still incredibly athletic and Big nimble. and we will surprise you even more because yeah. we can do unexpected flips things. Flips and shit. Yeah, that's fucking incredible. She does so many flips and shit. <laughs> like any opportunity. Big fan of Awesome Kong's secondary finisher here, which is when she picks him up for kind of like a pedigree. So your arms get hooked behind your back. You get pulled straight up so that your legs are kind of parallel with with your face and then drop straight forward onto your front. And the move is called the Implant Buster. (laughs) Horrible name. A horrible name, particularly when you hear about, like, there's a lot of ruptured implants in the history of professional wrestling for women. So uh, I love Kong's screams as well when she's not able to uh, pin her. Yes, because they're really high pitched because her natural voice is high. So it makes it really scary. Like, Mm. in a totally different... but you'd never be able to get a male wrestler who is that size no. to do a scary high-pitched scream and it'd be like, <laughs> But like when Awesome Kong does it, it's terrifying. Absolutely. And what's even more terrifying is then she does this crazy sit-out powerbomb because you've got like Mischief who is a much smaller size. You know, women rarely, if China did the powerbomb, you know, Sable technically did the powerbomb. But like big power moves like that were one of those things that are kind of were discouraged for women in in wrestling. And you know what? When a woman, like, half the size of Kong gets powerbombed and she folds up like a fucking accordion. And she still kicks out and she picks her up and does a big spinning, twirly, mega powerbomb. Oh, forget about it. This was awesome Kong picking up the win here. And this was honestly one of my favorite women's matches I think I've ever seen. It's like, it's 10 minutes. (laughs) And it's 10 minutes in a small room. And they fucking kick ass. It's awesome. I loved it. What did you think about it? I absolutely adored it. (laughs) I really, really did. I gave it four and a half stars out of five, which I'm thinking might have been too harsh and it might deserve the full five. Because honestly, I can't think of anything I've got negative to say about it. I mean, there was one or two moments where it was like, you know, this is something where where people will always like, um, will, will, will drag something down from saying it's perfect. But like there was a few moments where maybe like, it, you looked like you could see that there was a bit of cooperation or kind of someone standing still for a moment or two to let someone else do a move. Oh, but really? That, I didn't notice that. serious nitpicking, though, mm. if I'm honest. This, for me, was fucking glorious. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I loved it. I like, absolutely loved it. If this was like, if you were going to give me, you know, Braun Strowman versus like a Cruiserweight or something yes. like that, and I got this, I would be like rave about how it's one of my favourite matches as well. And it's just as good as if it was with the men and it's working against the disadvantage of being in a small, small room and 
check out Shimmer, folks. Seriously, yeah. it's it's worth your worth your while. Our next match is one which certainly was not going to go unmentioned. Might not necessarily be the biggest blockbuster match in terms of what happens between the ropes, but there ain't no way in hell that the How To Universe is going to let Joe Graham not see Seth Rollins versus Amazing Kong back in 2007 at an NWA indie show. It's very funny because I actually I realised yesterday I have a piece of software called OneTab where yeah. you can cl- minimise all your tabs that are open on your browser and it like indexes them into a nice little website where you can browse through them yeah i too have one tab it gives the illusion of control yeah i have six thousand <laughs> tabs on there now so what? very much the illusion of control and not any actual <laughs> control just, just more responsibility and i actually was going through getting rid of some old tabs from a couple of years back and one of them was awesome kong versus tyler black but i didn't watch it back then obviously because my rule is i don't watch anything that's been sent to me until it's like relevant or time yeah yeah unless you give me the the say so and i knew we were gonna do um an awesome kong episode at some point so and of course well if you don't know that seth's old name was tyler black go back and check our episode uh how to shield all about how those three handsy hunks got their start in the world of professional wrestling just don't be one of those wrestlers who refers to seth rollins as like tyler and your tyler is defending the intercontinental belt this week no he's not no he's not seth is now stop it <laughs> What? what were your thoughts about just like hearing that this was a match that took place oh it's amazing <laughs> and I knew that Seth was involved in some intergender stuff mm. earlier on in his career so I wasn't you know hugely surprised yeah. I was surprised that it was Awesome Kong he was against though cause... yeah Awesome Kong is definitely like I think one of those women who very much even in 2007 you could have made a case for intergender wrestling and maybe not intergender wrestling for all women but okay, oh my, Kong could go in with the with the, the, the guys though surely because she's so fucking powerful and imposing not like the other women at the time but like you know you could see even backwards thinking that Vince or anyone could have seen dog yeah. signs in this like in the same way China yeah. being put with the men I could see yeah put Kong with the men there was a great thing they did we'll talk about her TNA run a bit more but there was a great thing they did in TNA when she first arrived where it was like a random lottery where it was a tag team tournament and people were randomly assigned together on the roster no one knew who was going to be with who and it was a way to get like you know rivals to have to team with each other and Kurt Angle who was the world champion and the top heel at the time his random drawing was was awesome Kong and it was like he was like awesome great this is exactly what I want like <laughs> I, I've 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 looked out here yeah. me Picking the world champion in PE yeah you want to pick awesome <laughs> Kong first absolutely you do fucking hell so. I watched this with the kind of, with one foot kind of dipped into the pool of, remember this is 2007 in an indie show in the NWA, so don't expect fucking, don't expect the world on a play here. This ain't going to be progress, for lack of a better term. But I was excited to see it, particularly when Kong's actual opponent isn't there, and the commissioner guy, Terry Taylor, comes out and is like, Can it, look, is anyone in the back want to fight Awesome Kong? And like, Seth literally creeps out like I did it and he's so small yeah. this is this is proper young Seth back mm. before he'd done any CrossFit like he's honestly I don't know if anyone listening to this hasn't already found out what Seth used to look like but Google Tyler Black he has totally changed his entire body shape very bean shape like bean pole shape yeah. kind of very thin slender body like. the exact type of body shape that you know, traditionally people would look at it and be like, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be a big muscle wrestling guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, that's just not your body shape. Mm. He has managed to totally transform himself. But here, he's so small. 
small. He's so small. The only thing smaller than him is the ring, which is tiny. And all yeah. this just makes Kong seem like even more yeah. imposing. They've got this little man in this little ring with this fucking powerhouse woman who is like... Seth is like almost scared to fight her, it feels, at the start. And she yeah. just slaps the shit out of him. Yeah. Like full force, open hand slap right in the face. And she keeps screaming at him like to hit her. Like she wants to be hit by yeah. him. All the while the commentators are talking about how she wants to like wrestle the men and be the, wor- the world champion. She even at one point sits on the floor and doesn't do anything. It's like, hit me. Come on, hit me. I dare you to hit me. Ah, uh, yeah. What happens here is probably one of the most, I mean, I've not got him, so I can't really, uh, um, what's the word? It's like what William Regal is saying is that the things in wrestling that you can imagine happening to yourself are the sorest. But Seth Rollins doing straight up boob kicks. Uh, <laughs> nope. What, what would that be like then? I honestly don't know. Because she like, he properly kicks her. It's like, a proper like the Daniel Bryan yes kicks. Yes, the, the big the like striking bam, kick. Bam, yeah. And he does it smack bang in the boobs over and over and over again. <sighs> and like my, my boobs are especially sensitive at the moment. For, for those without <laughs> boobs, just so you know, boobs go through periods of being a bit sore sometimes yeah. and a bit sensitive. And, and mine were already feeling a bit delicate. <laughs> and seeing that, oh my God, yeah, it hurt so much. It would hurt so much. Really? Yeah. So I'm not going to compare be... it to being kicked in the balls because I don't know what that's like, but it really hurts. Really weird question, but I really, I want to know because like they used to do it back in like kind of post-Attitude Era peak sexy time with the women's wrestlers in WWE, but often it would be the thing that Trish used to do. She'd like you with the big lick of the hand and do the chops on mm. the chest and it's like, oh, like trying to make it like it was a sexy thing. Like, uh, 13-year-old Kevin didn't understand that to be a sexy thing. But does that have a place in wrestling? Should women avoid each other's chests? Is that like... that's a, It's a weird one for me. Because, I mean, in MMA, I don't think Ronda Rousey was going for the boobs. But I don't know. Like, in terms of a story, if it's a very sore place... <laughs> please don't take this clip out of context and put me to sexist jail. <laughs> I just... I You're dumped for being a sexist. Actually, I'm a very intelligent, thought woke young man who wants to know about boobs and wrestling, and I'm here to join today by Joker. So this is, I think, again, where the importance of having female creatives really comes in, because mm. personally, I would love it if they told more stories about how sore it is. Like, the fact that you didn't even know. If I was kicked in the boobs... I would be doubled down in pain for probably five to ten minutes. Well, that was it, because like, I saw that, like, I bet that's probably She no-sells it. And then I turned to you, and you were doubled I'm over. clutching my boobs now, <laughs> thinking about it. Like, I'm so protective of these babies. So do you think it could be a spot like the Jimmy Havoc, you know, yeah, laminate between absolutely. the webbing? Like, use it, but only in the most extreme of circumstances. I would compare it to the low blow. Right, but okay. Obviously, you can't tell the same story mm. with the low blow. The same way that a low blow is never sexualized. Like, yeah. Why would it be? It's an attack. It's a mm. horrible thing to do to someone. So I think if they used it in that method, like, you know, it's a real nasty thing to do to someone. Or similarly, where they do here, where like, you know, me watching that and to see her no-sell it and just mm. like, you know, continually get these kicks to the boobs. Oh my god! And her just to continue to not be knocked back in the slightest. That shows how badass she is. I am literally getting phantom boob pain yeah. right now. Just well, there's <laughs> lands in there! 
Yeah, you know, they've got lots of jobs. I didn't There's feel... important things. Yeah, I mean, like, I started to start feeling sorry for Seth a little bit and kind of being like, oh, you, it's, it sucks to be you. He does that, and then he also goes, hey, you bitch, I'm sick of you. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, like, man, I hate women. Like, he was such a little creep. And then she feigns indignity and hits him with the big spitting power bomb and folds him up just like mischief. He fucking sells like fuck for her. It's amazing. Oh, my God. So, yeah, this is a very brief match. Kong picks up the win, dominating fashion as per usual. A weird match, very much like an oddity, not like I would say a classic by any stretch, but for your point of view, seeing these two wrestle and you probably wouldn't have anticipated that they would have wrestled I mean how was it for you watching I loved it (laughs) I loved it in all ways shapes and forms I thought it was fantastic I loved the little story at the end like obviously she was consistently telling him to to hit her Mm. and by that I think she meant like punch her in the face Mm. because then at the very end she tells she, she tells Tyler to to hit her and he does and she like clutches her face she like, falls to the ground really dramatic and clutches her face in shock like looking to the ref and everything like he hit me and then as soon as T- Tyler's like oh my god oh my god I've hit her she oh no kills she him kills him yeah. it's not like a little roll up no she flattens him beats the shit out I, I love that Kong's a great heel like a really really great Star rating for this match. I gave it five out of five stars. <laughs> what? Why did it get the full five? What do you mean? What did you not like it? I mean, I'll be honest. I would find it difficult seeing you say this is five stars, and then when we looked at say Trent and Candice LeRae, where they played again a lot of the same. Any good to hit a girl, and they played a lot of those same tricks. Mm-hmm. But I guess is that maybe are you kind of viewing it in the time frame because that was maybe twenty sixteen, and they were kind of doing they hitting a girl, and this is two thousand and seven. So I don't know. That's kind of why I would... I mean, that story, even though with a unique spin on it with with different people, I do still feel what we talked about in that PWG episode that that is a bit true about having the story of the guy being like, yeah, when he hit a girl is a little bit maybe played out. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know. I know, I agree that the pre- that premise is slightly played out, mm. but I think it's done here really well. Mm. And I don't know, I just love... You know, Seth, he's, a, yeah. he's one of my faves. <laughs> he's such a good wrestler and... She is such a good wrestler, and I just, I just don't think I'll ever. Maybe it's just the fact that I love seeing, you know, an awesome, massive woman beat the shit <laughs> out of Seth. out of Seth freaking Rollins. Yeah, I think it would have been better if that if this was like peak heel Seth with his, yes. with his little gloves and his <laughs> gold, Watch. yeah, his Apple Watch <laughs> and his gold piping it would be even better. Like, yeah, awesome. So in 2007, after Kong had been making all these appearances and kind of really making a name for herself that had already been kind of established in Japan, you'd hear it's like, here's this woman and she'd come from Japan and she's mysterious and she doesn't speak. TNA had like literally zero women's wrestling, more or less, for most of its existence. The company, as we talked about in our Russo episode, was founded under the premise of being called tits and ass. That's why they went with TNA because that's. So they... how did they not have any women if that's the whole premise? Oh, of the show? they had women dancing in cages for the first couple of years. Are you serious? Yes, I am. Literally, yes, I am. And like in their first few. You know, the problem with TNA, Joe, and judging it as a whole, and it's very difficult to do it, is because it has shifted hands so much. And not just who owns it, who owns it and who's running it, who owns it and who's running it and who's in that person's favour, who owns it, who's running it, who they put in charge of creative, who owns it, who's running it, who's in charge of creative and whose wife they're sleeping with. Like, honestly, it's an absolute nightmare. So this is a company that, in its first few pay-per-views, had lingerie battle royales 
and then like what? no women's wrestling for like two or three years what were they kept them in cages yeah no they, there was a period where there was no not even women in cages you'd have like one or two Tracy Brooks was a valet Gail Kim was brought in but again used as a valet not as a wrestler like just think about that for a second we're going to be doing so an episode weird. on her that Gail Kim left WWE and was in TNA for around a year and not having any real reason to wrestle at all Jesus. so at a point in time TNA had a really good creative team which looked to think how can we be different from WWE because that's how we're going to you know really distance ourselves and maybe grow our own niche they'd gotten onto a national TV deal with Spike and they thought well look over there in WWE you've got the divas so they run these ads saying like our women's wrestlers are not going to be pillow fighters they're going to be hard hitting they're not going to be divas they're going to be knockouts now before we get into the story of it knockouts which they still use I think what do you think is that in terms of if you're going to give names to your women rosters? You've got the TNA superstars and you have the TNA knockouts. So the men were still called superstars? Pretty sure, yeah. yeah. See, I like the term knockouts. Mm. I think that as a gender neutral term is awesome because yeah. it implies both being physically quite impressive mm. and also the whole knockout drop dead gorgeous type of thing is that what they're meant to be going well, with I mean this? like KO end of a match type oh right of. yeah you're gonna they're gonna knock but, the shit out of yeah, you yeah but that too so I, I yeah I mean I I in theory like the term mm. I don't like the fact that it's only used for the women right right but it is a, it's a, it's a clever pun isn't it it is yeah I mean I think between the two at the time I remember thinking there's divas and there's knockouts. Yeah, out of those two, easily. Easily knockouts is the better term. Yeah, and like 2007, if we looked at there, you had... There was like... 2007 was the end of the kind of... That's when the last bra and panties matches were. And the last like pudding matches were. The last... Pudding Oh, matches. yeah, pudding matches. What, how do you even pick a pudding? <laughs> like, like uh, baked Alaska? <laughs> oh, no, that would be... You'd be very dangerous baked Victoria Alaska. Victoria Sponge? Like, how do you categorise what's a sexy pudding to throw a woman into? Get me Mary Berry on the horn. She's the one who can figure this out. But, like, I guess so. I would even say, like, for the time, it was definitely of the lesser of two evils in a better term. But they pretty much reached out to the likes of Shimmer, to the Indies. They did hire one or two women who had been in WWE. They hired a woman who was called Ariel. They brought her in. They hired Christy Hemi, who had been like a a playboy centerfold and the winner of one of their diva searches. So they got a couple of names in. But unlike with the men, when the names were brought into TNA and they bring in the the big names like Kurt Angle or, or Sting or Scott Steiner, they get pushed very hard. The actual, the main people who were pushed were women you never really heard of. Women like Awesome Kong or women like the beautiful people, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky and ODB, Roxy Laveau and Daphne. They brought in a lot of women who had either had a bit of a cult following or women who had very little, if any, kind of exposure at all. And they brought them all in at once. And like they brought them all at once and say, here's this knockouts title. You're all going to fucking wrestle for it. And Gail Kim, the storyline is like, well, I've been here for a year and I haven't had a chance to wrestle. I'm one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Let's fucking do it. Bring out the women. And they bring out the women. And then one of them is Awesome Kong, who straight away is fucking decimating everyone. Because all these women are amazing wrestlers. But Awesome Kong is unlike anything you'd ever seen before. And like, it was easy to tell that story. Because she was unlike anything you'd ever seen before. And the announcer's like, we don't know much about Kong. She's She doesn't speak. She's from Japan, we think. And she just has no mercy whatsoever. They would do a thing with her where it was the $25,000 challenge with Awesome Kong. And this is how they introduced a lot of the women. It's like, you think you can fight Awesome Kong? Because none of the women left on the roster want to fight her. 
fan in the audience, anyone want to fight Awesome Kong here, sign this release. You'll win $25,000 if you win. Wow. And we watched, like, we watched uh, Lever Bates, aka Blue Pants. Yes. In one of those $25,000 challenges. How would you describe? Fantastic. I mean, no one is as qualified as Lever Bates, I think, to be thrown around like that. <laughs> she fucking killed as well. And not like she's there in a wrestling gear. She's just like a lady in the crowd in a nice jumper and jeans and yeah. just gets the shit... She looks around. so young as well. She looks only like 17 or something. Oh, I don't know. Man. She it's, it's so scary. <laughs> and it was really great because that's something as well. If you look at, you know, for her own career and the own money that she can make from it, Awesome Kong is a unique force and a unique character to have. And you want to have characters like that in women's wrestling. But what's most effective about having a monster like that is then you can make stars off the back of it yes yeah and like they told the story with this uh, woman called Taylor Wilde who was one of TNA's most prolific women stars who at the height of being a women's champion had to work in a sunglasses hood to make enough money to uh, pay for her bills but that's that's another Jeez. oh god yeah speaking of that I saw a shoot interview with Kia Stevens who said that at the time when she was wrestling in TNA around this period the mm. makeup artists were paid more by TNA than the wrestlers themselves. That's because they worked for Universal Studios and were unionized yep. and they yep. get paid per appearance. They got fucking you know, benefits and all that. Mm-hmm. But they told the story, for instance, with Taylor Wilde that she's a fan who showed up and got killed. And like even actually, you know, before she got killed, when the one we watched, you would see her, she was there in the audience, they'd pan the camera around, there's a few people, and the story was she came back to the, to Universal Studios every month to have a have a go and then she finally got her chance, she got killed, and then she comes back the next month with like a black eye. It's like I'm gonna do it again. And she kept doing it over and over again and until she finally won and beat her and it's like Jesus Christ through sheer will and attrition this woman who might seem unimposing at the moment but she's got heart and we show this by her coming back every single week they had they brought Daphne back Kevin's favourite wrestler like and it was like Daphne's in the audience she's like well I used to wrestle for WCW and WWE won't hire me and you know I don't know how many years I've got left in me so yeah fuck it I'll, I'll take the challenge and they, they brought in characters through this story and using Kong as like the kind of backbone of the story of this new women's division. That's fantastic. That's so cool. 2007 to 2010, the women in TNA consistently got the best ratings, even if they were in the main event or not, and they did get some main events along the way. They had the best ratings. They had apparently the longest queues for autographs. They were in demand. They were the lowest paid. What? It's true, they were the lowest paid. And this is what was really sad, and this is what TNA is quite a dysfunctional company a lot of the time. You had great creative minds like, say, uh, Scott Demore and Dutch Mantel, who's also known as Zeb Coulter. They, like, knew what they had to do with the women. Give them characters, give them stories, give them time in the ring. Yeah. Were there sexualized wrestlers and sexualized angles? Yes, there still were, but they were still settling it in the ring. They were wrestling, and they were having matches where they could punch each other and do moves they didn't have handcuffs on them and even still though you heard stories I said Taylor Wilde the champion had to work in a sunglasses hut yeah like how is she I'm sorry but with a a story like that Mm. how is she not wrestling in WWE now she retired as far as I know a few years later so it's it's, it's sad because there's a lot of cases of that of women like ODB massive star in TNA massive star in, in women's wrestling to this day but she had to work in a bar at the same time. Fucking hell. And, like, can you imagine the embarrassment of, like, someone's literally seen you wrestle for a championship in a main event and then they go down the street to get a drink afterwards yeah. and they're tending bar? I can't even imagine, like, the fucking creepy fans that would follow you around, follow you home. And this is all as well from a company that is run by a woman. 
Dixie Carter. And nice one. Well <laughs> the done. The scariest thing I heard, you know, girl power. The, you know, TNA, much like WWE, you get your your money or whatever, but you have to pay for your your travel, your your expenses outside of airfare, all the expenses of the road, healthcare, all of that, even costumes in TNA, all that Jesus. you had to pay for yourself, and they weren't making a living wage, and that was really really sad because they were getting them ratings and honestly I watched TNA on and off for many years and the main events with the men and the stories they're telling telling with the men at that time turned me right off but the stories they're telling with the women were really fucking great I really was invested and it was the first time ever that they really got me thoroughly invested long term in women's wrestling and not just like, hey, I think Trish Stratus and Lita are really cool. I want to see them feud. Because that that's not women's wrestling. That's just two women who happen to get a good spot. This was a whole division that I cared about and all the stories they were telling. They had women's tag team championships in wow. TNA at the time. You so know? is this around the same time? You said that the men's wrestling sucked around this time. It wasn't that it was sucked, but it was like it was all played out. It was the same kind of stories. You had Neo Kurt Angle, Jeff Jarrett, and Sting in all of your main events, while the likes of AJ Styles and Samoa Joe were being marginalised, despite the fact that they were the obvious stars that people wanted to see. So is this because, would this have been around the same time where creative control would have been a big thing? The big names who came in, who were getting the big, big money, which was the, the, the male stars, yeah, they would have, like Kurt Angle and Christian and Scott Steiner, those guys would have had a degree of creative control. So do you reckon that's maybe why the women were so focused on because they had this creative team mm. with like not really much to do because all the stars were like deciding oh yeah I'm gonna win because uh yeah because I have yeah a yeah yeah where it's like well we've got some really cool ideas we can't do it with the men let's do it to the women yeah and it really felt like and it backed up by what we've heard in some interviews that it was very much a team effort in the locker room and I'm sure there were certain women who didn't get on and people who thought they were taking each other's spots as always happens in all wrestling. But it felt like a team effort. Like everyone was trying because we were all new characters, all new stories. Everyone was trying together to get people over. Like, and that was really, really like well done. But like they would do a story where they brought someone back, like Daphne, and she's brought in as a Sarah Palin impersonator to hoodwink the beautiful people who are these vain people who think that the governor of Alaska wants to be their friend, and they think it's actually Sarah Palin, and then they find out it's not, and then they cut Daphne's hair, and then Daphne goes back to her old kind of crazy goth character because she's been had her hair cut off by these horrible bullies and then she becomes you know they, they told these stories all wove in with different characters much like they're doing in NXT at the moment where yeah. what two people are doing isn't just about those two people it could be have ramifications for other people other stories and like it feels like a whole kind of like what they do with the men's kind roster kind of a little bit yeah and when we were looking for amazing, iconic matches with Kong at the helm during the peak of the TNA women's run, one name that keeps coming up over and over was definitely Gail Kim. Because, honestly, any of the matches that these guys had would blow your fucking socks off. They're so good. But one that I think just pinched it in terms of just enough people asked for it, and I had seen it myself at the time, thinking, yeah, this is one I wanted to show Joe, was Gail Kim versus Awesome Kong at TNA Final Resolution 2008 for the Knockouts Championship in a no disqualification match. So this is like a match where the women are going to get to use chairs, crowd brawl, stuff which you didn't get to see with women at the time. And even still is quite a seldom event. Yeah, you maybe get one table. <laughs> now and then, Now I guess. and then. Have you seen or heard much of Gail Kim before we settle down for this one? No, I think the only thing 
I knew of Gail Kim before this episode was, I can't remember if I was Googling Gail Kim herself, because I know she's actually been requested officially Mm. via our Patreon. So we will be definitely doing an episode on her at some point. So I can't remember if it was when I was Googling for a picture of her for the website, or if it was when we were researching for Vince. But either way, an interview came up, a shoot interview came up with her Mm. talking about, I can't remember the specifics, but it was about how the WWE mistreats its women roster, basically, <laughs> and how Vince particularly isn't great and how Stephanie isn't great. And yeah, oh man, there'll be stories to tell when we do the Gail Kim episode. We'll go in detail on that kind of dodgy period of women's wrestling that we talked about. But it seemed to me, of everything I've come across, she seems to be the one of the most vocal women like outspoken mm. women on the subject of, of women being treated fairly within the WWE like it seems to me like she doesn't give a shit hey, she doesn't because her husband is not to say it's because her husband but she's very secure let's just say yeah. she and her husband Robert Irvine who's a celebrity chef uh, preside over a multi-million dollar empire I'm not yeah. saying she's just married to some rich guy they're in and that together mm. and yeah she doesn't have to worry about job security as Which much is, I guess great because like honestly I don't blame a lot of women in that industry for not speaking out it's a toxic fucking culture dominated mm. by a lot of really gross powerful Needs men to be called out. and if you if you do call them out your your career can be ended absolutely just by like Vince McMahon so the fact that she she didn't give a shit mm. I thought she was the coolest person Absolutely. immediately <laughs> so yeah it's really really cool this fucking match seeing Gail Kim and Awesome Kong brought back really really strong fond memories and also kind of maybe kind of just check myself in terms of you know you can easily fall into the WWE line of like yeah women's wrestling was rubbish until a few years ago I was like no it was rubbish <laughs> there in the other company it was awesome yeah, it you're got, rubbish it did get shit in TNA again at points absolutely but it was awesome here and it was for my money the best thing in wrestling at the time was the likes of Gail Kim and Awesome Kong and like they do things straight away like they're brawling on the outside which you didn't get with the women yeah that honestly blew my mind like the first thing that kind of really made me think oh, like, this is another thing I've never seen before in women's wrestling. Like, we had in the the very first match she had against Mischief with the kind of the weight dynamic. Yeah. Telling a story, how they've never done that before. But, yeah, in this match, Awesome Kong cleared the announce table. I've never seen a woman do that, ever. Like, like that's so weird to think. And I, I hadn't even realised I'd never seen that. That's, and that's what's so pervasive about this whole subject, is you, you can go your it. entire life without, like, even someone like me, who I think about this near constantly mm. because I'm I'm like that much <laughs> to the hatred of certain people who no longer listen to this podcast and even then there's all this stuff that they're not giving to the women mm. I hadn't even considered mm. yeah like clearing the announce table doing crowd fighting well like clearing an announce table that's such like uh that's like the standard character moment of like, yeah. all right, now this is the point in the match where the wrestler wants to show that they're going a little bit dangerous and they're getting a little bit desperate and they're a little bit scary and a woman, I, I'm sure it has happened at least once or twice beforehand. I'm sure China's cleared a few announce tables in her time. But just the fact that it was like the announcers were, were like, whoa, yeah. and like what's going on over get here? Out get, get out of the way. And then again later when she came towards them, they're like, oh shit, she's coming this way. Oh God, I hope she doesn't come to us. <laughs> like, which is again, you'd get that with like Braun Strowman. Yeah. And I love that you get like the announcers here in TNA. And again, credit to them. They're putting over. Yep. Like, the women, in a way, like, there's, you know, not too many guys would just be like, hey, I'm really scared of that woman there, you know? I mean, a lot of a lot of the, the old-school wrestling mentality would be like, oh, I'm not selling that. No yeah. way, brother. They're fucking terrified. And probably a little bit of that is real terror. <laughs> and there's a lot of 
those kinds of things happening in this match. Mm. So, like, the crowd fighting is awesome. It's a very acquired skill, crowd brawling, and it's usually, like, used by wrestlers who need to hide that they can. Like, Sting, for instance, when he got on in years in TNA and he couldn't really do a, a big, long match, the crowd brawl for an half because it? it's like, the crowd go nuts because, like, whoa, where are they? Just the right size arena to do that type of a thing in. Yeah. And it can be a bit wacky. But more often than not, it's just an excuse just to run around and punch each other. But they told a great story here, which was Gail Kim was like literally like, give me your fucking bottle and she's yeah. hitting her Anything with like... Anything she can find in the crowd to use it to... She's both running away and trying to be on the defensive from Kong, who is like a Braun Strowman character... Mm going just full steam ahead nothing can stop me and whatever yeah, you throw in my path I will eliminate and like the way Gail gets the advantage is like she has to like you know dodge out of Kong's way when she's already like running at her and then like you know, dump her over a barricade or hope she runs into a wall or whatever and because of the size difference again you've got Gail Kim full on like running legging it through the crowd <laughs> And Kong just strides. Because she's got such a long... Yeah. Like, really, I think she is 6'1 or 6'2, legitimately. Yeah. Which is got to be one of the tallest women in like in, in wrestling, as far as I think about it, that's yeah. ever been in wrestling. She's imposing, like, definitely. Like, her walking through a crowd is like... You will like, see her. Yeah, it's not like, oh, she's big compared to these wrestlers. No, she's just big compared to everyone here. Mm-hmm. She is a fucking imposing force. I love really scary bit she does where she picks up uh, Gail Kim by the legs and swings her into the barricade like a baseball bat. Oh yeah, she's like twice in a row. It's gross. Oh my god in hell. So she tries to powerbomb Gail which gets reversed and then she tries to literally kill her by like jumping up like this crazy vertical leap and like sitting out. Like I like what the attack that Wario used to be able to do (laughs) pretty much like you know. We Um, need a female Wario in wrestling. Someone make it happen. Please. Come on. Kong then does something which I don't think I've also not seen a woman do. Maybe outside of China and other people's matches. But in terms of she tries to pin Gail Kim. She hits her with a big spinning side slam. The ref makes the count. She's not happy. She looks over the ref and she power bombs the ref and lays him out. Yep. Whoa. Again. <laughs> Never seen that. No, like another ref comes out straight. And like that's the like Gail looks like she's the match one, but she can't because Kong has killed the referee. Like. Yeah, Gail finally manages to get... Kong down by hitting her like repeatedly in the head like bare headshot with a chair again I mean this is this Never this, seen this, it. this match for like 2008 is just like a list of things you don't see women do no. and of course with chair shots to the head you're never going to see that now I've been good reason I yes, guess I'm, I'm happy enough for that <laughs> but you know there, there were so many male chair shots and big angles that got over with yeah. with men being hit in the head with a chair that's that's happened and this got this over here this is like an iconic moment where like Kong is being chopped down like a tree by Gail Kim who's swinging this chair and it's like amazing because like you don't see women hold chairs like the chair's a big fucking thing it's like wider than Gail is and she's like yeah because Gail is so small and Kong is so big she can really hammer that chair on Kong and Kong at the start no sells it and then eventually crumples down it's like you know in Breath of the Wild when you can pick up one of like the giant comedy weapons that the baddies have you're like big swing of it like but then the fact that because Kong's already taken out the ref, Gail's there like, oh shit, I've got no referee. Hurries out the other ref to come in. And then just as she's about to do the pin, Kong jumps out and takes down the other referee. And the <laughs> finish of this is incredible. Like, I, I This is one of the greatest finishes ever. Because like, you, you need to, like, with someone like Kong, you can't just beat him. Like, that's it. That's it. If you are the big, kind of, the big scary monster... 
the rules need to be the same. If you let someone just win because, then you you lose the credibility, you lose the mystique. You actually your size works against you then because like well you're so big, but then you just lost. Yeah, and I Nine think jacks. yeah, I know that's not to draw too many comparisons because they're obviously very very different in so many ways. But you have to draw that comparison because Nia is the only woman of that size who's the powerhouse. Who's like. the powerhouse in WWE in the entire time I've been watching? And you've got the way you can finally beat Kong is she goes to kill the second referee. He's up for the power bomb, and Gail Kim using the fact that Kong can't see, sneaks up behind to roll her up and the referee just lands like a cat, like whoop, and he's like, one, two, three. And it's, it's almost like the referee's like, let's just fucking end this because we ain't got any more referees backstage, guys. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. Kong wanting to like destroy the referee and just be more fucking brutal. That's why she lost. And because Gail was smart enough to see the Jenga tower about to topple and take advantage. I fucking loved it amazing finish and afterwards Kong is like just fucking wants to she's right up on her feet pull apart brawl all the refs yeah. the other women's wrestlers yeah. the security are there like just get her out of the wing ring she's won and that's like and then you want to see that match again which yeah. is what they do they had a great few of these guys I love the fact that NXT is starting to do that now with mm. women. Like they will, they had only a couple of weeks back, they had a segment with um, Shayna Baszler and Dakota Kai where they had to intervene with the backstage crew, had to come in basically. They had oh, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of refs come in, keep them apart. And there were like 20 people keeping mm. those two women apart from each other. It's perception is reality. If you just, if you treat it as a level playing field and use like, if you use all the things you can use as wrestling, the tropes and storytelling devices... And so many of them, you kind of think, why are they exclusive to men? And you kind of, you really think it about it. It is literally it. just to limit the, what the women can do. And it's like just kind of remember, reminding themselves that we've got this massive toolkit, which that's what makes women's wrestling so exciting to me now, mm. is that we spent fucking the entirety of it in WWE history with being like, no, you've not, you've not unlocked this bit, you've not got the DLC, you've not got the patch, you can't do this, that, and now we can do all of this stuff with all these interesting characters. It's just refreshing. It yeah. kind of it puts stuff, the- stuff as well that like has been overdone to death on mm. the men's roster. Yeah, yeah. That like you know, I'm bored of seeing some of those stories told for the hundredth time. But you know, to see that told with women. Great. Tell it ten more times. I don't care. And honestly, if you're looking for an incredible women's match that's not in WWE, Gail Kim and Awesome Kong had a whole series of these. Uh, they had a street fight on Impact, which is probably as good as this, I would say. As recent as 2015, they've revisited this angle and they've done matches again. Kong and Kim, they both of them said that these, like their favourite opponent was each other. Aww. And both of them said this is their favourite match. I fucking adored it and this is one of the rare cases again in wrestling where it's like something which when 2007 11 years ago I'm like that's fucking awesome I love that and 11 years later I still think it's just as good mm. if not better because of the precedent that it set that I now know wasn't really followed through on yeah <laughs> so what did you think what was your rating of it I loved it I gave it four and a half stars out of five uh, yeah it's essential watching you you have to honestly all of the matches that we cover for this mm. episode I consider essential watching for any new any new fan, any old fan. If you've not seen any of them, you have to see these matches okay, yeah. in order to, you know, just diversify your own experiences. To see, appreciate that women's what women's wrestling can be yeah. and what it doesn't have to be. No, you know? and if like if this can even open my eyes on what it could be like, like oh, I'm just so excited. There's just it just shows that there's all these things I haven't even considered that yeah. could be done with women's wrestling. <laughs> 
And I'm just so excited. There's I'm a whole so world out there. There's a whole, whole world. And again, this is what the sad thing is, is that, and this kind of almost like can be what discourages a lot of fans, is that you see progress like that and you see all these great characters. And, you know, like what was great about this whole run of the, the women's division is that, you know, when it got to 2009 and 2010, you had the likes of Victoria and Mickey James coming in from WWE to then go to TNA. And it became like TNA was where the women who really wanted to seriously wrestle, that it was known then as the company for women's wrestling. And it was like their leaps and bounds years ahead of this. They did an all-female episode of their show. You know, They did all-female pay-per-view specials. They did a lot of that type of stuff. And again, women's tag team championships. And they had a diverse group. You had uh, you know, Zelina Vega, who's on SmackDown at the moment. Her and her sister, they were a heel tag team in TNA. You had wow. Hamada, who um, Kong would have beaten for the All Japan Women's Championship way, way back in the day. She was Kong's tag team partner then. You had a re-diverse group of people We'll maybe overlook the fact that Kong's Kongtourage, uh, which had, you know, Rocket Khan, whose aunt owes her money. <laughs> and you had Soldier and Bolt. You had women of color in this stable. Unfortunately, you also had a white woman dressed in a uh, in a hijab and uh, being Raisha Saeed. That's a, you know, when you look back in time, you've got to find these awful mm. bits along the way. But there was at least a diverse, quite a diverse group of women from different backgrounds. On the topic of Raisha Saeed. Yeah. Oh my god, how cool would it be to have an actual Muslim female wrestler in the hijab and full burqa? I like. was I was worked. I I literally when I first watched it, I was like, awesome, great, this is cool. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, of course the black woman who's billed from Japan would have a you know, a Muslim woman in a hijab with some vague Middle Eastern accents. Makes perfect sense to eighteen year old me. I've been to boarding school. I have the world figured out. <laughs> I could tell she was white and not Muslim and literally immediately because she was wearing a black headdress and a like floral floral dress underneath, which is just not a good look. And yeah. let me tell you the fashion is taken seriously, okay? They don't just wear any old thing. Any old thing. It's an art, okay? A lot of effort and planning goes into those outfits. I will give them bonus points for the pun Kongtourage, though, I will say that. Now, unfortunately, all good things must come to an end in wrestling and progress, particularly as it pertains to TNA, which couldn't seem to chart the same course for longer than a few years at a time without going, oh, that sucked. Let's completely forget about that. Let's have someone kind of cut a promo about how shit the company's been for the last 10 years and really try hard let's bring in Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff now we talked a little bit about Hogan's run in TNA in our How To Hogan episode and let's just say the uh, negative impact that he had uh, on a lot of what happened with the wrestlers and so so negative was his impact him and Bischoff to be honest and the whole culture they brought it trickled down elsewhere a lot of the creative team changed over hands Kong and a lot of the women at the time, a lot of the men as well were saying one of the main difficulties was not knowing who was in charge. Eric Bischoff was the executive producer. Dixie Carter was the president. Hogan just seemed to have the last say on everything. It was very unclear who was in charge of what. And basically what happened then was that the women featured a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. And before you know it, it's like, well, we have women's wrestling at the moment, but it's mainly like... Victoria and Mickey James and there's fine amazing women's wrestlers but those are the two women from WWE and it kind of felt like they really forgot about a lot of the diversity and a lot of the kind of a lot of what made the women's division special there and what was making special was unique stories and matches with a lot of time not like you know 
it's really weird to me that they can start off with the attitude of, okay, cool, we're WWE's competition, let's do whatever they aren't doing. Mm. And then go from that to... I know Awesome Kong said in another shoot interview that Dixie Carter was very much of the belief that if you hadn't come from WWE or if you hadn't done at least a sprint in WWE, you weren't worth shit. The reason they had that viewpoint, and it extended to the women as well, I guess, was that the people they're talking to who they thought were important were the the people who ran the networks. And those people were like, well, I recognise them from TV because I'm a wrestling fan. The idiots. Like, you know, that's it. Like, if you're just kind of going on name value recognition from the, that small group of, of people... Let's just have Hulk Hogan play every role in wrestling. But, you know? I mean, that's what they want, right? They just want name recognition. It's why it's sad that, you know, this is a company that went from having the match that we just talked about to the lockbox showdown thing I told you about with Russo, where, you know, Daffy was made to strip and they all, you know, they had all that, oh, you know? Oh, God, that one's so upsetting. And they brought in a lot of women who, like Ho- like Hogan, for instance, thought Lacey Von Erich was great because, I don't know, he looked kind of like her daughter and she was, you know, this hot girl who had a connection to wrestling who had fuck all training and all of a sudden she's one of the tag champions. And the women's tag team championships for instance uh kong and hamada were the tag champions at one point they just randomly stripped them of the belts and said oh yeah they've not defended them in 30 days it had been 21 days since they defended them you know the last knockouts tag team champions odb who we mentioned and the leader of sanity eric young he was also the other knockout tag team champion uh, at the end because it became a gag it's like oh we've got these silly women's tag belts what are we gonna do with those oh i don't know uh, let's do a storyline where you know, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, you know, team up to become tag champs together. And it's just... Fucking hell. Like, the the real stupid thing about this mm. is they had the data. They knew. Yeah. They're the highest rated they're the shit, highest like. Rated. They're selling the most merchandise. They're, they're the ones the fans want to meet and greet. Mm. And, like, how can you not listen to the money? Well, the reason is because they thought, well, that's money, but we want to make the real money. The real money that comes with having Ric Flair and Hogan on your screen it, and all those old names. But They've it, do, it, do, it doesn't, and it didn't, really. So and how can they keep... Like, I understand trying that out and being like, yeah, maybe that will work. But you listen to the money, you look at the data, you go, oh, that's actually not working. Maybe we should do the thing that has been working for years. That's why ego needs to kind of be put to one side a little bit when wrestling is, exactly. is the business of wrestling exactly. is being discussed and that's why you don't put some of the biggest ego in the history of wrestling and his mates in yeah. charge of it yeah and like the real like this is the real shocking thing this is the instant that kind of i really think really shook kong's career and really made it difficult for for her in in many ways she had all this momentum all these great matches under her belt and then Bubba the Love Sponge, piece of shit, uh, even by pieces of shit standards. Pieces who, of shit would be quite offended, I think, to be compared to Bubba the Love Sponge. Yeah, well, he's the type of guy who secretly films Hulk Hogan having sex with his wife so he can blackmail him and then use it I to mean, get his retirement. I mean, that's the nicest thing he's ever done, to That really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, that was quite good of him to do that. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. But again, Hogan's buddy gets brought on, this you know second-rate Howard Stern shock jock lad, and of course everyone's got a hot take when you're Bubba the Love Sponge and Bubba the Love Sponge has to have his hot take and his hot take was that the Haiti earthquake was a load of bullshit us sending money over there why can't we send money to America man and uh, what difference is it going to make anyway in Haiti because it's just a bunch of uh, poor black people and da 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 now Kia Stevens is constantly and not just for this 
always with all things is doing charity work and really amazing outreach work it's like one of the most constant things about her whole career yeah. is the level of charity work that she's done and fundraising that she's yeah, done for like huge amounts impoverished communities and, and yeah, yeah during the Haiti earthquake in 2010 if you don't remember it look up about it it was one of the most fucking cataclysmic uh, natural disasters that's happened ever in that region and the people needed help and she was one of the main she was the main wrestler who was spreading the word raising money doing events you know using social media in its infancy to get money for it and you know she hears that this bubble love sponge is fucking making all this fucking noise and in what will go this is the probably the most requested match for Haiju Kong we'll review it now it's Awesome Kong versus Bubba the Love Sponge <laughs> backstage at some TNA taping in 2010 <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge comes to the backstage area having insulted loads of uh, workers and people who work and staff and other wrestlers yeah he almost got like there was a younger employee who apparently according to Keir Stevens worked his ass off for that yeah. company like did everything he could to, to really help them as much as possible yeah and um, Bubba the Love Sponge like, almost got him fired. Yeah, it's just because he's a piece of fucking shit and he had sway with Hogan and he got to do stuff like that. So, yeah, and of course he got himself... This is a great thing as well about Bubba the Love Sponge as well. He got himself on TV as well to be like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's like personal interviewer and he'd come out like, hey, Marks, everyone sit down and shut up. It's like, wow, that really overweight man in his mid-40s who looks like a heel sofa cushion coming to the ring. Hey, wow, what a cool dude he is. That's got to put some... That's got to put some money on the table, isn't it? You know? So, she finds him backstage and she beats the fucking shit out of him and uh, she smacks him and he goes down to the fetal position she keeps beating him up in her own words she starts to feel bad for him yeah she says (laughs) she says I don't know if you know this but once someone curls up into the fetal position you can't beat them up anymore because that makes you the bully and and I I hate bullies (laughs) yeah I get it well here's the Here's like how it was reported at the time because if there is more to it than just she beat him up and that was it. It kind of it's shows you the bureaucracy in place in TNA and what bullshit there is. So 19th of January, he made those claims on his radio show. She attacked him backstage at the tapings uh, due to the comments that he made. Kong had been a driving force in the wrestling community to raise funds for Haiti. She was sent home from the tapings after the altercation. It was later reported the same day on his radio show that she had asked for her release from the company as a result, and it was not granted. After she then refused to take part in TNA's upcoming tour in the UK, the company suspended her. The following month, she filed a lawsuit against him for a threatening phone call that he made because, of course, he went on his radio radio show and told people yeah, his sure. side of the story she reportedly was released from tna on the first of march and then seven days later that's when they said she had defended her tag belts in 30 days uh, because i don't know maybe dixie carter went back through a fucking tear in time to change that and gave everyone a nosebleed it didn't happen on the 22nd of march tna confirmed her release but they also claimed she'd requested a release multiple times due to personal reasons and then it was actually because of monetary issues and changes to management why she was let go she was literally you know you could maybe make an argument for gail kim but awesome kong i think was their biggest female star homegrown because Gail Kim made her name in WWE she was their biggest star and she mm. let them slip through her fingers and then back to the indies and she's been back to TNA since because obviously that whole regime including Dixie Carter has since gone mm. so she has been back but I felt that that was shit because obviously that was that was the time where she should have been making the headlines and the matches of the money that would have eventually gotten her her proper WWE run and like a story like that you can really use that to your advantage as a wrestling company yeah like we've got a woman who is constantly beating the shit out of everyone else and she just beat up 
Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> like yes, I would be taught, I would be getting her on interviews all the time, yeah. telling her side of the story. But once, see, once le- threatening of legalities and suing comes in, then that story yeah. doesn't get told. And yeah, it's it's rotten, really. It's rotten what happened. To I'd her. have been, regardless of whether or not she was allowed to talk about it, I'd be like desperately clinging on to her though, because like mm. people will think that's awesome. It is awesome, and I think like uh, from honestly from the feedback that we got read this episode. That's everyone talks about that they talk about the time she stood up and it's great because in 2010 I remember being like yeah he's a piece of shit I hate him fuck him but like in 2018 knowing all the stuff with the sex tape and how just like next level goblin this man is then yeah that was really fucking awesome to, to hear and it's really sad that like kind of she at the time bore the brunt for something which no one is going to go oh yeah how, how dare you everyone's on board with that yeah now. no one is that isn't anything but a fucking boon to your career that's what it should have been coolest things that's happened in backstage wrestling honestly like if booker t or like bobby last year someone went backstage to be above the love sponge they'd be revered awesome. as a folk hero yeah you know and kong is revered as a folk hero because of this but not like i think honestly you know not at a corporate level no it's really sad, like because it plays into a stereotype. Angry black woman. It does. It and, does. And uh, you know, yeah. But you can't stop the wheels turning. And Kong just went on to the Indies, went to Ring of Honor, and that's where he takes to our next match. Bit of a dream match, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, sorry, your star rating for Kong versus Bubba the Love Sponge. Oh, <laughs> give it six stars. You got to break out the six star rating for this one. Yeah, the, I think the, Meltzer would approve. Well, Justy and and you are still in the same realm. Meltzer's went off into some other hole. Oh no, he's on seven now. He's on isn't seven it? now. Like, mm. man, you can't even decide if this pizza is four stars, yet alone five or six. <laughs> so yeah, a bit of a dream match coming up here. One of Joe's favorite women, who you don't get to see wrestle a whole ton. You've seen a few bits of. Sarah Del Rey, a.k.a. The Death Ray, taking on Awesome Kong, Ring of Honor 2010. Sarah Del Rey, what can you tell the fans at home about the current head trainer for WWE? She's really cool. Mm? She's got a great look. Not that you get to see it much, obviously, because she's backstage. She's a trainer for WWE, like a coach. Yeah, she's like, she was their head trainer for the women, I should say. And also, she's like one of the main producers and agents for the women's matches as well, on top of that. Wow, so. that's really cool. I know she's married to Cesaro. And that they both worked in the indies together and they like did tag team stuff. We reckon they have an amazing sex life. I just can't imagine a world where they don't have an amazing sex <laughs> life. I just I imagine it's loving and and sexy. Yeah. And heated and communicative. Commu- I was gonna say communicative. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Please continue this thing. We're not that insufferable. <laughs> yeah, she's she's really cool. I, I absolutely love Love what little I've seen of Sarah. I, think, I showed you her versus Cesaro, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, <laughs> Sarah Del Rey, she is the referred to as the queen of wrestling here with the tag team, the kings of wrestling, which is Claudio Castagnoli, aka Cesaro, and Chris Hero, aka Cassius Ono. So, it's always great to see a woman come to the ring by her adoring husband and good friend. Especially because they come out and then they worship her. They, like, literally get on their knees and, like, worship her feet. I feel that if Adam and I were to accompany you to the ring, we could kind of, you know, do a similar thing. I wouldn't expect it of of you. Oh, that's weird because Adam likes coffee, which would make him your husband. And that would make me Chris Hero, which I don't think I want. I I look a little bit like Chris Hero. You both like coffee. Yeah, that's true. But I wouldn't have an Instagram about it. I don't no, would. that's true. That's true. Claudio's Cafe on Instagram. Do do follow it. And, yeah. and how to wrestling as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Two of the scariest women ever. That's what I reckon. Yes. Sarah Del Rey is scary in obviously a very different way from Amazing Kong. She's scary in the Cesaro way. Let me put it across in that she's scary in that I know that she knows ways to hurt you that you don't even know about. And also as well, even though she's not as big in stature as, say, Kong, you know she's got deceptive freaky strength yeah. she's built for suplexes joe she's yeah. got the, the the legs and the strong hips. thighs yeah strong hips exactly yeah looking at her was like oh i could maybe be a human a, suplex like, machine. yeah <laughs> i've got big thighs i could you know flip people over my head when we do ddp yoga you're pretty good on the old bridge that's true you know that's true i'm saying i'm expecting a bridging german suplex from you but you know <laughs> I'm just looking at my slightly grazed knuckles. I don't not think, on this carpet. I don't think I'm cut out for this business. I'm not as tough as Sarah Del Rey, even if I do have the thighs. This is great because you can see Kong as a face in this match and Sarah yes. Del Rey as the heel, which is great because they told the story in TNA a bit as well, which is, you know, you love to see the big scary unstoppable monster, but when they're, you know, this powerhouse who's got, you know, outnumbered, she's got these two fucking, these two grown men on the outside who keep like, see like literally Cesaro at one point kicks her, bicycle kicks her full force in the face. Oh, it's so horrible. It's not like, ooh, I'll grab the ropes. It's like, no, quickly get her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like a big imposing force. So yeah, it's a different story to tell. And they tell that really well with Kong here. Sarah Del Rey works the arm as well. So Kong can't do the spinning back fist, which I think is a very, very cool story. Kong does a move which I absolutely adore. I'm a big fan of grunters. I'm a big fan of people who talk in matches. I love that she screams, but I love when she goes for a big splash. She goes, "Wah shit!" <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, great grunts. And there is a point as well where she dives over the top onto Cesaro and Hero at the same yes, time. It's beautiful. Fucking incredible. Sarah Del Rey kicks out of the implant buster and then Kong gets kicked full force into the face. And it looks like Sarah Del Rey does have her and she has got the advantage because of all this outside interference. But Kong, they show the desperation, manages to get a quick roll up and wins. So a different story where Kong is working almost as an underdog, but you can show that you can have that destroying monster who has to work and wrestle smart because they're outnumbered mm. by a bunch of fucking rotters. So I really enjoyed this match just to see a different side a different style to awesome kong what did you think of this one? i really enjoyed this one um i can't say i enjoyed it as much as the others it was less hard hitting than i would have anticipated i would have thought yeah. these two would have really went hell for leather and it's a harder story i think to tell this probably without the full context of the storyline and everything yeah. but i still really really enjoyed it obviously i love seeing sarah del rey wrestle and i love seeing cesaro and cassius ono as well it's mm. nice to see them i gave it three and a half stars out of five nice what is interesting about this time period is that everyone was expecting her to go to wba and there were a lot of rumors and then they did start showing teasers at one point. They're, they said the name Karma, and they would show just little flashes and glimpses that was kind of like, if you knew who it was, you knew who it was. If you didn't, it was like, it's going to be someone completely different, because they would focus on her eyes, you would see, you'd hear her laugh, you would see the braids, little flashes. And honestly, the build-up to Kong debuting in WWE as Karma was one of the most, like, well-handled debuts ever, I think. Because when she finally debuted at Extreme Rules in 2011, I believe it was, 
she came out and she just destroyed all the women that were in the ring. And I showed you a few of these segments where like the music would hit and everyone was like, oh no. <laughs> and it's great because it took advantage of the fact that all the women when they wrestled would always be in these like, tonight, 18,000 diva tag team match. Like, <laughs> and they're all blonde and skinny. Who are they? Will Jerry Lawler know which is which? Find out after the break. Like, So they would take advantage of this that she would come in and she would kill all of these women. And like, I remember watching with my mate at the time and, you know, the women's wrestling, we would usually probably like, it'd be like, all right, now it's time to eat our pizza. Let's, you know, it, honestly, we... we <laughs> yeah, the coffee it was, break. It was the coffee break. And then straight away, we were glued to it. And it's like, oh my God, like, it's actually more interesting because it's not like in TNA where it's like, here are all these awesome women from all around the world, all these great wrestlers. It's like, here are, quite frankly, the playthings and dolls of the WWE. They showed like a, one of the... <laughs> Uh, promos they showed was like Kong with like a doll's house and just breaking all these Barbies and smashing it wow. and we were like oh my god the story's literally gonna be the women's division is not ready to deal with this type of a wrestler and she came out and she fucking killed him in her first appearance or two she like dislocated Alicia Fox's arm I think and she she really hurt her and then the, the story came out it was like yeah in her first you know, appearance she hurt Alicia Fox and we're like this is great the women are gonna get fucking like toughened up by a trial of fire that is awesome Kong and wow. the name Karma is awesome as well yeah because Karma's going to come and get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad Karma. I actually prefer, I think, the name Karma to Awesome Karma. I do as well. I think it's great. And it's, she came up with it as well herself. Oh, really? What does it, like, mean? It was literally just that they could use the idea of, like, Karma's going to come and get oh, you. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and but you, she spells it differently. She spells it with an H. K-H-A-R-M-A. So mm. we can get uh, unique branding on that and registered trademarks and all that. <laughs> but, yeah, they did, like, pretty much for around a month or so, every time there was a women's match, she'd come out and she'd kill everyone. And then they did a thing where... There was only one she would destroy. She would destroy Kelly Kelly, who would just be like, have you not destroyed me? And then Kong would just give her a look, and it's like, oh, what's going to happen there? And everyone was like, oh, dream match, Beth Phoenix, awesome Kong, dream match, Melina, awesome Kong, dream... You know, like, everyone seemed like a dream match. Why didn't she beat up Kelly Kelly? We never found out. We never found No, I was, like, gripped there. <laughs> I knew she only had a few appearances in WWE. Like, literally, she was only there for three or four weeks. And I was like, I'm going to show you, Joe. Hang on. And I accidentally showed you her, like, one of her last ones where she comes out to destroy everyone and then she just stops and breaks down crying in the middle no! of the ring. I was like, oh, no. And before it happened, I was like, Whoop! let me show you destroying someone like I originally wanted to. Can you imagine? That would have been the first ever thing I I'd know! I nearly ruined this podcast. Oh Hiring requests this episode and he would be like, you did what? <laughs> you are not my friends. Like everyone in page would be like, I literally don't trust you to introduce <laughs> <laughs> You'd be fired. Yeah, pretty have much. have to replace you. Get someone else in here. Like, I didn't like it at the time like kind of why would you have this powerful woman come in and break down crying and then literally the next week on Raw they had her come out like no no storyline really just like talking as her go look I came here to you know make an impact and show the world you know what I'm all about you know I want to be women's champion I want to I want to wrestle uh, on this stage and she's like I found out recently that I am like with child I'm pregnant so I can't do this now. I'm going to go away, have my child, then I will come back and, you That's know. That's really weird, though, that, like, 
Given her character, I'm surprised. Like, that's the kind of thing I expect from the Bellas, or certain Expect female- how? You might need to elaborate uh, on that for me there. Like. Certain female wrestlers, I can understand, like, when they bring in a pregnancy-related... Like, mm. I'm guessing she really was pregnant. She was. No, she yeah. was legitimately pregnant. But, like, yeah. a lot of female wrestlers, they just, you know, they go away for a bit, they have their kid, and they come back, and it's never really talked about. I mean, you know what? You watch, you've, you've watched, obviously, Brie Bell, and she's, gonna, she's probably going to come back. There's not really a lot of a lot of precedent for that. There's a few. Oh, really? There's a few women on the roster who have come pregnant or they have given birth, but usually it's like kind of a long gap, and then they come back a few years later, or they went to another company and it happened there. Yeah. But in terms of precedent for like I'm an active wrestler in the WWE roster and oh I'm pregnant now and then going away, it pretty much doesn't happen. The only one I could think of was. Don Marie got pregnant, but then it was like literally like her contract was up the following month, and it's like I'm not, you know, we're not going to resign. Bye bye. Like, and then Stephanie, I know that's not really comparable. No, it's definitely not. Like, so this was definitely uncharted territory for WWE. I wouldn't even know like how WWE would. Like, I don't know if I give them credit to handle that correctly because I know a lot of companies. As soon as, and honestly, in Hollywood as well, Mm. like in TV shows, if like the main star gets pregnant, there's often a lot of real shitty behavior. And particularly as well, it's like the timing of it. It's like you're literally three weeks. The momentum is building. Mm. It's like here's this new character. It's going to be built around this character, and then then the pregnancy happens. So So it seems weird to me that they're uncharted territory that they would have her talk about it though because that's such like a raw like it's mm. a very personal thing a very human thing mm. and to do that with her character where you know she's sold as a monster mm. it did it for me I, I remember at the time thinking even if she comes back I think they had done irreparable damage because once you've seen her one the crying thing I didn't like yeah that's weird like, then, can you imagine Braun Strowman suddenly breaking down crying because he's a dad yeah you know it's or Brock Lesnar it's, doing it, that it was very it was like kind of let's find a way to write her off and then they were like oh let's just have her go out and say what's actually happened and she you know she sent interviews that everyone was you know very very supportive to her to like her yeah to her to her face and I think honestly you'd be a bit naive if you assumed that they wouldn't having brought someone in after three weeks and then getting pregnant like and again hadn't happened before probably there was a lot of things that were said but again she said to her face everyone was very supportive and very very nice and and all that Mm. one would assume maybe that makes me very uh, cynical but one would assume that WWE behind closed doors were not happy about that and honestly, like from her shoot interviews, she is so careful with what she says. She does not believe in closing doors. Mm. Like she, you know, quite rightfully yeah. cares about her career very much. And she said in many interviews that she believes that what happens backstage should stay backstage and it's yeah. no one's business. Yeah, yeah. What happens behind like closed doors. Well, it was very made apparent at the time. It's like, look, you'll be back. Right. And the door's always open. Yada, yada, yada. Like, she'd even said that, like, you know, Triple H had, like, had spoken to her, like, oh, they have all these plans that they want to do, like, down the line with her. And, like, they, again, the thing they both talked about was, like, they wanted a new baby face to get over. And the plan was, is, like, we're going to, you know, use you to crown the new top baby face in the company. Whoever that might have been, AJ Lee at the time. Who who knows what it could have been. Like, they could have used her to make stars. And that was very much the plan for her. So they were going to bring her back in as a heel? Probably, yeah. I like, don't know how you do that after a pregnancy. That's it as well. It's difficult. But, like, that was how the, the character was, I guess, was more kind of like a chaotic neutral, I guess, than a... Yeah, but after she's know. broken down crying in the yeah. ring and then everyone... No easy way to say this. She miscarried. Oh, She lost God. the baby. And it was one of those confusing things where, like, TMZ reported, like, she's had her child. And then it was, like, oh. a couple of... And then she made an appearance at the Royal Rumble. 
and it was a great she's one of only three women ever to appear in the Royal Rumble it was really great they did this like whole angle where Michael Cole is like you know the shitty announcer who thinks he's arrested he comes in like yeah and then like the next person comes out and it was karma and like she literally stared at him and he, he eliminated himself and then like you know so she got to wrestle a little bit with some of the guys she eliminated another man and then like she got eliminated by Dolph Ziggler it actually to this day is her only official WWE match is the 2012 Royal Rumble I can't believe she got eliminated by Dolph Ziggler yeah I know right uh, whoever's decision that was should be fired but it was into one of those- space <laughs> It was one of those decisions, though, or one of those things that I remember at the time, you know, religiously reading dirt sheets to find out what happened. And only afterwards finding out, I was like, actually, no, she had miscarried. And it was kind of like, I got the sense, because it's not on her Wikipedia, it's not talked about, she doesn't discuss in interviews that, rightly so, it's her business, she doesn't want to talk about it, so that's that. Yeah. But it definitely, imp- I know she has said... That it had, you know, as obviously as it would, it impacted her greatly, like emotionally and mentally and, and whatnot. And she never made another appearance from there. And I think it was the. It's really weird. The kind of the timeline gets a bit hazy from that point on because I know she had a lot of injuries she was dealing with. And like when she did return to TNA those few times, she was noticeably slower and she had a little bit more difficulty moving. I know she had a lot of issues with her back, particularly, I know even recently, as recently as a few months ago, she was having surgery on her back to help with some of the pain. And obviously wrestling is a hard sport. And especially the style that she was doing. Style she did. And on top of all that, you know, you know, losing losing a child or whatnot. I, again, I can't even begin yeah, to imagine. I, I, I yeah. can't even begin to attempt to imagine. So it was really difficult to hear that as a fan. And then that kind of like made the fact that she didn't return and didn't come back. I know there was rumors that like, you know, 2013 as late as I'd heard, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back. It's just like literally, you know, got to get in shape, got to get in the right headspace and then I'll be back. And it just didn't kind of happen. And I'm not sure if it's a case that she wasn't in the shape they wanted her to be in and TNA's like, well, do you want to come over here for a bit? And there's there's money there. You got to work. You got to fucking, you know, you got to make a living. Uh, part of me always wondered if that was kind of the case that wasn't able to reach... Because WB have, let's be honest, pretty shocking standards and there were worse back then. Mm. You know, it sucked. She, she should have come back and she didn't. And I remember hearing, you know, around 2018, she's like, hey, I want to be in that Women's Royal Rumble and she wasn't there. The fact that she didn't come back is perplexing to me. It really is. Why do you think she hasn't come back? I could only speculate. So there's a few theories I had. One one is that. It's literally that it was... They had a standard that was maybe impossible to reach. Or even more likely, the money wasn't right. And she's a big enough star and she has enough stuff going on in her life. And I know that was around the time as well when she was... How, you know, she had talk of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll talk about how, what's come of that obviously in a little bit. So it could be that it just wasn't the right business decision for her as well. And then there's also the really cynical, crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy that I had, which was, well, would you bring back Awesome Kong when you're trying to get over Nia Jax as being this very unique, homegrown, has the lineage with the rock and the great Annoy wrestling family? Why would we bring back someone who can do everything they can do uh, with a lot more experience and a lot more... And I, I don't like to use the constant comparison between Naya and... and I wouldn't make the comparison between Naya and, and Kong, but I would imagine WWE yeah. would. And I would imagine WWE going, well, Kong would actually... would probably just hamper the development of Nia Jax who we want to strap a rocket to. I could understand that if they were booking Nia Jax 
even remotely similarly to how they booked Awesome Kong. But it's not. It's like, honestly, the only similarity they have is that they are two big women of colour. That's it, yeah. That, that there is no similarity beyond that, and the fact that they were at the guess at the start of Naya's career, she was booked as a monster, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, what's her whole tagline? The irresistible, the irresistible force. Force, yeah. So yeah. it's supposed to be she is both stunningly beautiful and she's a trio as well. These two, the thing with Naya Jackson, the eyes, which is pretty much exactly what they did with Karma when she debuted as well. That's a very Fucking similar. Hell. But yeah, I, I mean, it depends. You, you ask me on any day, I'm feeling good about myself today, so I kind of go, no, no, they wouldn't. But on a I bad, would... you know. I would love it if they did book Nia Jax the way they did with Awesome Kong. I don't think she's got the ability, though, to pull it off. But like, even if Kong is, is slower and less... It doesn't know, matter. You, you could, you, do you want to know how you make Nia Jax? Have her beat the fuck out of Awesome Kong. Like, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you did that, like, and she, like, you know, slammed Kong or powerbombed Kong, whatever it was, that would be, like, a holy fucking shit. You, you know, that would be awesome. And, yeah, it's... It seems to me even though she's not said as much, but I think their last match was 2015 or 2016 and Glow fucking took over the world and, you know, Glow season two, even more so nominated for, nominated for a lot more Emmys than WWE were (laughs) and they didn't have to have a special screening where they had all the women going, no, it's really not sexist. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, she's in Hollywood. I mean, she's doing well for herself. Netflix, Hollywood, she's a self-admitted lover of TV and a binge watcher and... I'll tell you what, in terms of reinventing yourself, we watched season one of Glow. I didn't know her shoot name was Kia Stevens. Yeah. Afterwards, you told me yeah. it was her. Oh, it's this wrestler, Awesome Kong. I've not really known much about I her. I could not believe it. I know. She's just incredible. It is incredible. And she has, like, you know, if WWE wanted her to lose weight and get lighter, she is significantly, like, in better shape like, in Glow than she was maybe in her later run WWE. Yeah, but even still... God, I cannot emphasise how much I do not want her to lose more weight. No. Please, don't be stupid. WWE, the value there. Well, look, if WWE can't see the value in them and Netflix can, well, Then good, what, I'm happy because I know it's a lovely show to work on and Netflix pays the big bucks and she deserves the best. She, The fact that she can... Yeah, you've seen her wrestle without yeah. makeup so many, many, many times. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that like she can be in Glow for a full season playing one of the main characters and you didn't even recognise her. Yeah. Like, that's true acting ability it to is. be able to transform your face. Like we were saying before, that she's she's a really beautiful woman and she can make herself look like a terrifying monster. And she can also put on a whole new face to create a whole new wrestling character that is obviously based on her own... Like, the similarities between the character that she plays and Mm. the character that she plays in in real wrestling may not seem obvious at first, but they both play on black stereotypes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. black women. If you've not seen Glow, folks, you really need to watch it. It's like, as a wrestling fan, or even just as, like, kind of someone who's dipped their toe into wrestling, it's excellently done. Fantastic. But, yeah, it does kind of... It touches on, and particularly the second season, it touches on wrestling's habit of kind of... It doesn't matter if this plays on a stereotype because it's so gosh darn you know, entertaining yeah. or whatever. Like, is it offensive to play a stereotype of your own culture if you then have an element of control in how it's portrayed? It's quite nuanced. It's like. very, yeah, it's a very important conversation that needs mm. to happen. And honestly, needs to happen within the realms of wrestling. And yeah, it's not a case of like, you know, because say Chavo Guerrero Jr. and Carlito and Alex Riley have all shown up in it. And so did Brodus Clay as well. Like a lot of former wrestlers have shown up in it. But they all very showed up in a very much a, oh, okay, I get you, you're kind of a wrestler and you're bringing you into a wrestling bit here. Like, she is... An actor. She is an actor. Yeah. And she is so good at a really great role. 
and it's a real heartwarming story and she's done so well in it and you know what's so weird to me it was like when the cast of Glow appeared on Smackdown yeah, and it's like she wasn't there she wasn't there but it's like what a bizarre world this yeah. is where WWE can recognise Glow in that sense and give it a little rub but, but not, not have her have who her. actually worked in WWE and is a ca- like, I would love to know what the fuck the deal is for lack I of a better term I would guess it's because they don't want to bring her in as a character or an actor because to them she is karma it's like, has to remain karma. It's 2018, and like, I don't know how much more wrestling she wants to do. That's yeah. her call. That's her decision. I never wanted to be like, think, oh no, you gotta put on the tights one more time and fucking, you know, if <laughs> break your body. Yeah. yeah. So like, honestly, she's happy and she's successful and she's doing what she's doing. That's awesome. It does seem to me very shocking that all of these companies struggled to read no one ever read other than TNA for that brief period I don't think anyone really TNA for that brief period and AJW managed to in their niche markets truly harness what she's capable of and I think the fact that WWE couldn't do that that's really weird to me really weird they usually like if the person is good enough, like usually what can happen is they go you to mean WWE. mean if the man is good enough? Well, yeah. I mean, there are cases where people come in from another company and they flounder and that's that's that. But yeah. like, she didn't flounder. No. She just, she got pregnant and she came, she was ready to go again by the looks of things. It's because she's a black woman. Yeah. She's big. I guess like, so. That's, she's working against every, everything. Yeah. In a company like WWE, that's it's true. inherently racist. Like, ugh. It's an upward battle for it her it is it's an upper battle but you know what she still managed to carve a name and a legacy for her and even though as I said she's not been wrestling as much in recent years we had still oodles of tweets people talking about how inspiring she was how incredible she was and how how she got them into into wrestling again or TNA like a lot of people saying she specifically in TNA and Gail Kim that feud brought them into wrestling not just TNA wrestling again yeah. like that's that's powerful stuff you could do that you're definitely going to go down as a legend and I think she deserves to go down as a legend because yeah. she's fucking awesome <laughs> I would like to see her back in WWE in any capacity that she feels comfortable in mm. just so that we can get her into that Hall of Fame yeah well I want her in the Hall of Fame you know I, she's someone who I'd rather see in like kind of like the National Wrestling Hall of Fame or like the, the Observer Hall of Fame. I didn't know that was fame. a thing. There's, yeah, there's, put, fuck the Hall of Fame for WWE then. Yeah, yeah. there's other more, slightly more legitimate Hall of Fames I think oh, might Oh yeah, uh, put her in those then. Might, might work. They don't have uh, racists in them. Well, they don't have as many racists in them I should <laughs> say probably. Well then, that is it for our rundown of the career, the matches, the highlights, the life and times of Awesome Kong. Now it's time to see what you guys think. Let's have a look at your tweets and your Facebook messages. This is from Jake at Double Cross King. If not for the awesome Kong slash Gail Kim feud in late 2007, early 2008, and Kong's work in general from 2007 to 2010, I would have given up on TNA much, much earlier. I think that <laughs> says it all. Yeah, that definitely... I, I echo your sentiments. Callum at Beardy Face Guru says, Kim versus Kong was one of the only times before the women's revolution women's wrestling was taken seriously by any Western promotion. Some of the best big versus little matches I've ever watched. Kong has so much presence and Kim is such a pure baby face. And you know what's the thing as well? Kim is such an amazing wrestler, but I never saw what the big deal was until until she wrestled Kong. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I, like, I understand. I suppose it's really difficult though if she's always wrestling kind of like 
like you say, like women who aren't as athletic or haven't got that background yeah. in wrestling. It's kind of like when you see someone's like, yeah, they're good compared to these people who aren't good. Yeah. But then you see them with someone who's also excellent. And they just bring out the best in each yeah, other. That's when wrestling gets really magical. Absolutely. Callum continues, she was amazing in Glow. Glad they got such a pro to play her role. I love how ham-fisted the welfare queen is. That's the character she plays on Glow. But she plays a relatable mother really as well. The episode Mother of All Matches is one of the best because of her awesome performance. Yeah, that was... My favourite episode of the whole show, yeah, all two seasons. total standout performance. And honestly, like I could imagine so many wrestlers who are mums or dads yeah. watching that and being like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very relatable. You know, you can yeah. really imagine what that's like because, mm. you know, it's another thing if you're a kid in the audience and you're mum or dad or whoever's playing like something that makes you really uneasy yeah. you know that's that's something else and that was a really powerful performance Henry at Gonzo3249 says I was always disappointed that she never got a proper WWE run yeah you're not alone there mate big fan <laughs> of her look in ring work and promos she's amazing on Glow and had a great interview on Tights and Fights the podcast Oh, yes. I hope she returns to the ring soon. Maybe at Evolution. Oh, my God, yes. Please get her in some capacity at Evolution. Holy if, if they shit. do that, like, if they do that, that, that's a way to make a lot of very... Uh, you'll make a lot of fans very happy by doing that. Absolutely. And if you're listening back in into the from the future and kind of go, well, of course they did, guys. Well, then, hooray. <laughs> to tussle our hair. If not, we can clench our fists and shake them together. They've listened to everything else I've suggested. So WWE, Stephanie, Vince, Trips. I know you're listening. Come on, do the right thing. Some say Joe Graham started the women's Jovolution. Uh, I say that, definitely. <laughs> All the time. It's, a, it's when you wake up in the morning and go, I started the women's Jovolution. <laughs> I mean, I think I have, a, have about as much credit to claiming that I started the revolution as Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, so. but you're not taller than the women, so really, what can, no. you, what can you do? I'll get extra tall heels. <laughs> Rahi at Rahi2Cent says, genuinely one of the most badass and powerful wrestlers ever. I was super excited when she got signed to WWE. I loved how they did so well to maintain her aura and mystique it's sad that she never got a proper run in WWE but major props to her for finding success in Glow especially considering honestly on top of being a badass wrestler she is a pretty awesome actress and it's nice to see her get some solid character development this season in Glow yeah and you know what this is like uh, Brodus Clay he, went, he was in the first season of it and he's now he's had like a recurring role on Preacher like a lot of the wrestlers who are appearing on Glow have went off to do other things and she's the best wrestler on Glow who's doing she acting she actually so. helped train them as well yeah she I did I totally even forgot to mention that that yeah. she actually like I mean you've got um... I know Chavo Guerrero was the kind of coordinator but obviously she was the there was a, a few women who had like stunt experience but she was the main she was the the main woman they had on the yeah. show who actually had wrestling experience. And be able to, I think, the importance of having a co-star who is one of the main characters mm. who, who obviously they had to wrestle with as part of the storyline. To have someone who's so good, yeah, it makes a massive difference. I mean, we've talked at length in many, many episodes the importance of like, you know, carrying someone. Hey, yeah. You can essentially, if you're a good enough wrestler, you can you can carry a, a, a mop. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, that makes such a difference. Absolutely, and yeah. Actually, a lot of the, the stars of Glow have, have gone on to do quite good wrestling as a result. 
result. Yeah, honestly, season two of Glow, there's some great, some great <laughs> layers. I mean, I didn't expect Alison Brie to do such a great crossbody, but here we there are. There you go. She's actually really good. <laughs> Liam at Scouse Wrestling says, I think Kong is one of the only women in wrestling to have found actual mainstream success. I don't think any other female has been part of a successful TV show or film like Kong has, and she's a great actress too. Yeah, we had a think about this earlier, and you brought up... I said China because she was in Third Rock from the Sun, where she plays a cop. And then there was, I mean, I mentioned Sable, who was like, you know, had done some stuff as well. But really, those are two examples there of women who became stars in WWE through the vehicle of WWE. And then kind of after they left, kind of continued like riding the momentum of that. Yeah, like they got those roles on name value. Yeah, because they were two of the biggest stars in the in the country at the time. Much because... like in TNA, the executives would have seen them on other wrestling shows like WWE. <laughs> Same here, they would have seen them on the television yeah, exactly. wrestling shows. Whereas Kong, really, I don't think, I don't think Kong got that job because you know how well we know you had a great run in TNA that was mishandled nearly ten years ago, or yeah. like we know that you had three solid weeks in WWE. That's from her own hard work and it cannot be understated the fact that she's fucking really good at acting like she is a natural at this she's really fucking good in terms of a woman in wrestling who has found mainstream success not on the back of their wrestling success I think she is probably one of the only I'm sure there's I mean I know like Tori and some women have done well in the world of like yoga and stuff like that but in terms of something it's not the same because it ain't something that's nominated for Emmys and something that is like literally the talk of the town glow is one of the hottest shows on Netflix and that brings eyes to wrestling yeah like by hearing about Keir Stevens and seeing her in glow and thinking wow this is a great show about wrestling I'm really it's really fun finding out that she legitimately is one of the best wrestlers and had an You'd entire career. You'd seek the stuff out, like, yeah. That's the stuff that would make me want to start watching wrestling and become a wrestling fan. Yeah, I think it has just as much potential to do that as, like, Total Divas has, Yeah, honestly, you know. even more so, I would argue. Few messages over here on facebook.com forward slash howtowrestling. We always appreciate your longer form answers. Adam Scully saying, when I was a kid, I saw Awesome Kong in a battle royale. If I remember correctly, she did a thing where she put someone over her shoulder, bent her in a way that she kicked herself in the head. I thought it was the coolest goddamn thing in the world. It is the coolest it goddamn is. thing in the world. Ties into pretzels. <laughs> Lionel Williams III saying, Awesome Kong was one of the people who jumped off the screen when I started watching wrestling. She was so good that she made everyone she wrestled look like world beaters when they got an advantage on her. It was a shame her WWE run never got off the ground, but her feud with Gail Kim in TNA and her great run TNA will always live with me. Absolutely. And I will say as well, if you're looking to ever dip your toe into TNA, we found this out by being on Answer the Ten recently, but uh, the Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash TNA, I mean, it's hardly, you know, they, they... there's some good stuff there's some bad stuff there's a lot a lot of a mismatch it is very much like a Russian roulette if you're going to watch yeah, that stream yeah we did end up watching some recent Rich Swan matches where he, he's gone through some serious shit recently because his hair is a big old mess <laughs> let's not talk about Rich Swan. No, I don't want to taint this nice episode but yeah I mean if you're looking for a random bit of wrestling to pop on and you could get some sweet you could get some sour you may very well get some of the best women's wrestling that's ever been on American TV well then yeah pop over to the Twitch stream and you know what one thing I'm very glad 
glad about this episode. This has made me realize, because any fan of TNAs went through all this fucking malaise, it's made me realize that there were things about that company that were done so well and so differently and remain special even today with all the progress WWE has made. And I think very few people will be lining up to praise that company anymore, but that is something that they definitely did well and I can't be taken away from them no matter what the fuck they do. No matter how many races that they employ for any period of time. I'm excited for an inevitable how-to TNA. Uh, yes, it will happen. We may have to get Callum Leslie uh, on for us to help us through, explain how all of that fits together somehow. Yeah. Just before we move on, I wanted to just talk briefly about the amazing artwork that Dan has done for us this episode. Yeah. I absolutely love Love, love this. She comes out through the screen at you, like those <laughs> eyes. Those eyes, I love it. Oh, it's so perfect. And that is the most fitting font for Awesome Kong I think I've ever seen. It's yeah, awesome. It's very appropriate. And I hear her theme music from TNA. It's great. Love it. That's good theme music as well. Joe, are you excited about our next episode? What is our next episode? Well, Joe, we talked about a lot of wrestlers recently, and we talked about some writers, and I think it's time for us, because, as has been pointed out to me, you now have pretty much the requisite knowledge of enough of the key players that we can do an episode on it and do it justice. Okay. Our next episode is going to be about the Renegade promotion from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the 90s. I'm talking about Paul Heyman's most feared creation, Extreme Championship Wrestling, ECW. We've watched a lot of the Sandman. We've talked about the Dudley Boys. We've talked about Stone Cold being there. We've talked about Paul Heyman, but we've never talked talked about the company, its history, its impact, and also its legacy in the world of professional wrestling. You've just touched your face like someone who realised they've left the oven on. What are your thoughts before we get into it? I was just thinking about how I realise now that this episode was like, you know, I'm sorry that you had to do Vince Russo. Sorry you had a hard time recovering from from surgery. Yeah, you come out of surgery with a nice one. Yeah, we're going to give you a nice episode about a lovely, cool wrestler who you adore. And now we're going to do it about a promotion that you're probably going to hate. I can't wait to be really anxious about all the wrestlers (laughs) giving themselves injuries and concussions. But people have said to me though right here's the thing I'm like oh I don't know if Joe's gonna like this or she you know it might 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 be a tough one but you love the Sandman I do love the Sandman so from that alone and you did like you liked you liked the promotional tactics and the chutzpah of one Paulie dangerously there's lots of things I really like about ECW it's just the attitude of that era I don't like the whole mm. hyper masculinity of it's not proper wrestling unless it's You're, extreme violence the whole yeah. it's not enjoyable unless they're genuinely putting their lives on the line like that's I can't get behind that attitude. It just goes against my beliefs. Well, this is going to be an interesting one because for for me, ECW was very much my my wrestling of choice for many years. Yeah, because you were a teenage boy. I was while it was around. We will talk in depth about about it. We've mentioned a little bit before about the mystique that it had. But it's honestly something that you know Adam and I reviewed in ECW for a bonus episode of the Atchiara podcast, and I did find myself kind of cringing a little bit at a lot of it. But that being said, revisiting some of it with Haichi Wrestling, I've been kind of a little less inclined to think that it is all bad stuff and that it genuinely, I think for your appreciation of people doing things differently and trying to change things up and challenging the status quo, I think if we watch some of the documentaries about ECW, 
as opposed to just the matches of ECW, okay. you might gain appreciation. And WWE have got an excellent one, and the people who didn't want to do it with WWE have also got an excellent <laughs> one. I'm going to show Joe the rise and fall of ECW from WWE, but also Forever Hardcore, the documentary that was made by uh, Jeremy Borash from TNA, now of WWE, and a lot of the people who maybe wouldn't have been in the good graces of, of the WWE. Because there's a lot of names in ECW that have nothing to do with WWE and never will, mm. and kind of you know vice versa so to speak i think we can probably pick a selection of the most iconic matches that are maybe less to do with the wrestlers and more to do with ecw i think it might be finally time for joe to watch a taipei death match or a no rope barbed wire death match it might be time for joe to see pula versus bill alfonso there is some real gruesome stuff along the way but I am going to put my neck on the line and think that you might be able to look past the gruesomeness and the rampant sexism and the horrible fans and the squeamishness and maybe see why ECW is kind of like... I'm worried you think too highly of me. <laughs> Sounds scary. Well, I think higher of you than I think of ECW, if that helps. <laughs> like. So, fans at home, have you watched any ECW recently? I know it is a very difficult watch on the network because of the dubbing. Is it even possible to enjoy ECW as it exists currently on the network? We want to know your match recommendations, any stories that illustrate the wild and fun side of ECW, but also as well, I mean, Joe's heard about a couple of the lawsuits that were filed against ECW, and it might be time for us to finally discuss the mass transit incident as well. There's a lot of really shocking parts in this episode, and I'm pretty sure your nose is healed enough that you'll be able to stomach it all at this mm. point. Use the hashtag HowToECW. It is our first ever episode where we're covering a promotion, but I think given the short-lived nature of ECW, we'll be able to get all of this kind of surmised nice and neatly and see what it was all about and how that promotion helped change the landscape of wrestling and what relevance, if any, it has today in 2018. Paul Heyman doesn't even like to talk about ECW anymore. He thinks it's the moot point. It's hmm. done. So, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he's just a little bit ashamed about it. <laughs> mm, probably for good reason. So, let us know your thoughts, your recommendations, and your stories using the hashtag HowToECW. There will be some big names in there that we will still, of course, do main episodes on, like Rob Van Dam and Tommy Dreamer and Raven. But for the most part, we'll be looking broad strokes ECW. I'm excited. A little bit trepidatious. I don't know if you're feeling the same or not. I'm nervous. I don't want to say bad things about ECW and then have all their horrid fans come up to me like, nah, you don't like you know what, though? violence. Why I... are you a wrestling fan? But here's the thing about that. like, If you said that like six or seven years ago, I would have been like, yeah. And no, I'd be, they're all in their 40s now, But aren't that's they? the thing. I think a lot of them now, <laughs> I don't know how many people there are beating the chest of ECW. I'd feel embarrassed to wear my ECW shirt at a show. Like, I, yeah. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. A lot of us lapsed ECW fans. I'm not sure if there's that many people flying the flag of extreme anymore. I think a lot of us maybe have moved past it, but that's why I'm throwing it out there. Look, if you are passionate about ECW, ECW and you think it's relevant and it still holds up to this day, please let us know. If you are someone who thinks that it was a necessary evil even, let us know if you think it was, as Jerry Lawler once called it, and you may be online with the king for once by calling it extremely crappy wrestling. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you and Je you and the king mm. may have a lot in common by the end no, of this one. Mm, I, I kind of love ECW. No, because I think the reason he, he won't like it is a very different reason that I don't like it. Yeah, well, I refuse to agree with Jerry Lawler about anything other than. Did he ever say anything bad about Hulk Hogan? 
probably has in a feud for a match or something yeah. to sell tickets. No, I don't agree with him about anything then. Well, will Joe feel like the ECW arena should have been made out of toilet paper because it got nothing but shit in it? We'll find out when we do How To ECW. <laughs> Until next time, if you want to check out How To Wrestling, you can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher. But we want to make a big old plug and a big shout out for HowToWrestling.com, which is where you can find all information about upcoming episodes all our past episode recommended bonus viewing links to all of our episodes our patreon faq all that is available as well as joe and something that people need to know about all of our fabulous articles from all of our lovely friends here in the how to wrestling universe that's right especially one recently by you that was shared by colt cabana himself what that's a real cool moment i was very proud of you i hope you know that oh thank you i wrote about uh, a two-part article about the trial of the century between cm punk colt cabana and dr aman it was very touching and personal i felt the first one was about uh, from punk's point of view and what i felt about that and the second one is more of a personal talk about Cole Cabana and the inspiration he's had me as a I mean this podcast wouldn't be happening right now if it wasn't for Cole Cabana in a roundabout way so yeah definitely do check that out but great articles as well about uh, introductory guides to Japanese wrestling about the history of like Lucha Libre and about NXT and Download Festival there's a whole wide variety of articles and if you for instance are someone who is a writer and you want to have your say on a nice friendly platform that will be shared amongst thousands of like-minded lovely wrestling fans hit us up howtowrestling at gmail.com let us know if you want to write pitch joe joe is our editor-in-chief and she will be more than happy to get back to you if you think you got an article unique voice or something to talk about in the world of wrestling not what you thought about smackdown this week but anything else other than that no not about raw this week but yeah let us know howtowrestling at gmail.com and head over to howtowrestling.com until next time when joe and i are going to get a little bit extreme it's a goodbye from me Kevin and it's a goodbye from me Joe and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling see ya